powered from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew Estate Studio in California. It's episode 280 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Patrick O'Greed of Half Wheel as our very special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Dagos Race introduced another chapter of the saga, the Saga Celeste. Celeste is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celeste is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. Saga Celeste carries a blend of Cuyolo lore and Piloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at an affordable price. Ask your retailer for Saga Celeste. And by Perdomo Scores. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobacco that have been carefully hand-selected and a well-aged for a minimum of eight years. Perdomo 20th Anniversary offers in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrels wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobacco gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigar is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigars brands include the Perdomo Double H 12 Year Vintage, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Albano Bourbon Barrel Aids, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Minso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic, Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield and Sweet Amber Distilling uh, Rob Dietrich and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all-Maduro Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chalk, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California studios for the Thursday night primetime show. Welcome, everybody. This is Primetime episode 280. Today is Thursday, August 24th, 2023. Will Cooper here. I am in the Perdomo Scott Studios. Join Cross country by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. The Phillies are off again tonight. You know, as I was like, uh, say, it seems like they're off. I could say it was, they just have a lot of off days, it seems like, this year. They don't have those long stretches of games. So they're off again. Yeah, the MLB seems like they've kind of spaced out the schedule a bit to try to make do some makeup I, opportunities, I, I guess. I like and it. it's, yeah, I like I it. Mean, it's, they've had some weather issues yeah. recently, so it's, I think it's worked out for them a bit. Yeah, I know we're going to be talking baseball with our guests in a second, but Wednesday night was absolutely the best night of the year. It was the best game of the year for me uh, <laughs> to watch that. Yeah, <laughs> to to stick it to uh, Kapler was a uh, <laughs> was was a thing of beauty. And yeah, but uh, you got you got paid back the next day. So yeah, and then we stuck exactly. <laughs> it just it just never ends. I mean, it's like this had that's a story of my life here. So, yeah. uh, but it was a great it was a great night. Um, and then you know. I've been the Trey Turner apologist, so I got to stick it to them as well. So I was like, yep, yeah, exactly. but, uh, but uh, yeah, so now I just mentioned we're dealing with a rainstorm here uh, coming through. So hopefully it, it seems like it's starting to die down. So it was uh, about a half hour ago. It was brutal. Okay. Well, 
but hopefully not no damage. Yep. But very excited tonight um, to welcome our, our guest in here. Uh, it's the first time he's been on the show. So, um, you know, he is, if folks don't know him, he is w- one of the best journalists in, in the cigar industry for sure. Uh, he And his brand Half Wheel has a reputation second to none. So I want to uh, give a warm welcome to Patrick O'Greed of Half Wheels, our special guest. Patrick, welcome to Primetime. Thanks so much, Coop. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, pleasure to be here. Glad to see it only took 200 and, what do we say, 80, Eight. 90 episodes for me to get uh, <laughs> on here. So, uh, well, we sorry, got Charlie and Brooks and everybody else who <laughs> said no to this one couldn't do it, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm I, glad to be here all the same. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. So I got a confession to make. I'm reading through the intro and I got real nervous. Like I said, oh shit, I got like a guy here who does this for a living. And if you notice when I said the Drew Estate thing, I, I literally almost froze when I had that thought. I'm like, oh man, he this guy got I got like one of, I got a guy who's like does this for a lifting here doing this. I'm like I, so I, I did fumble. I'm famous for fumbling through these, but I was pretty nervous stumbling through that. I gotta be <laughs> so. believe me, it's all, the lives are always harder than the taped. And fortunately I get to work a lot in taped stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that never sees the light of day, but uh after god how long have i been doing this now 30 ish years of pa announcing and other stuff i've managed to at least smooth over most of the bumps and whoopsies and stuff like that and live stuff but uh no it's uh i i appreciate the job you do so yeah no thank you thank you we do too um and like i said it's uh, it's it's an honor to have you here um thank you. i know we're gonna have some great conversation here so thanks for making some time you know it, it's kind of interesting patrick because we i think when we see each other like at pca no one has time to like socialize at PCA. Um, at least, at least when we saw each other in, in Nicaragua, there's a little more time for that. Um, but, but even that can sometimes get a little busy, but sure. uh, yeah, but PCA is like, it's almost impossible. Like I tell people it's like, yeah, bedtime to socialize with me is what I'll say. It, yeah. No, and, and I tell people like, look, I'm an introvert. I've been talking to people all day. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is stand around in a crowded smoky area and, pretend to have meaningful conversations with yeah. people that yeah. I have to shout to be heard. And, you know, they literally have to be like in my ear so I can hear them. It's just like, let's just, let's find another time. We'll do something yeah. else. But yeah, exactly. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Glad we could do this. Glad yeah. we can make no, it happen. No other than, you know, me having to miss the Beyonce concert that's happening out in Glendale tonight, but you know, I didn't have tickets. So <laughs> yeah, I, I missed too, it. I was telling Patrick, I missed it. About it. I missed it as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yep. Um, Patrick, what are you smoking tonight uh, for our audience? So I went and kind of rifling around one of my humidors, and I found a God of Fire Anniversario 2014, which I've never been good at doing this whole, like, put your hand behind it and get it to focus <laughs> thing, and let alone turning it right. But it was in a little sample, like a little four-count sampler yeah. that uh, Prometheus put out. So yeah. grabbed one of those, and then I've got a Tatuaje Veracu on backup. for Nice, nice. Nice. You know, for uh, for the for the for this se- is not going segment. to be a marathon show. <laughs> for the uh, twenty, we'll get to the twentieth inning. Yeah, that will be the yeah. Yeah. How about, uh, so I, I think I, I sort of recognize that cigar you got there, Coop. Yeah, uh, and we're going to talk about this cigar a little bit, um, uh, because probably this cigar wouldn't have been here if it's not for you, actually. So, I think you have a lot to do with why this cigar is in the market, and we'll we'll hang it. But it's the it's the Hoya de Nicaragua Numero Uno, uh, Ambassador. So, uh. But yeah, so um, and and Patrick, yeah, I'll just say this. Uh, um, it, this cigar actually made my son-in-law a uh, someone who enjoys cigars. So, 
he loves fantastic it. that's yeah, great so so yeah because it is cigar so uh he uh he said you didn't give it number one he goes shame on you i'm reading those guys now. <laughs> <laughs> all right but hey patrick we always like to start off with on the show is um and you've probably been asked this before but maybe for our audience sure. um your first experience smoking a cigar so tell take us through what that was um what you can recall from that yeah so i can give you sort of three kind of lily pads that i jumped around to um in in that world first was when i was like 15 or 16 and i had a swisher suite on a uh, high school retreat and that was sort of like you know i went to an all boys catholic high school very strict very disciplined but that was always like the there was always some teacher that would pick up a pack of swisher sweets <laughs> so that was my very first like cigar experience and then you jump a for a couple for a couple years forward into college and i was an intern at a radio station in seattle and this is this would have been late 90s, right? Yeah, 98, 99, somewhere there. So about a half a block away from the uh, radio station, we had a cigar and martini lounge. This is back when you could actually smoke cigars indoors in Washington State. And uh, so we would do nightclubs on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturday nights. And one of the DJs would inevitably give one of the interns like $50 and say, go over to the cigar lounge and just get some sticks and you know like most cigar lounges kind of thing they didn't have a massive selection so it's like you were right. walking into you know cigars international and going i don't know what to do you just right. walk up to the bartender and they sort of knew who we were because most of the time we had this radio station shirt on and just be like all right fifty dollars how many like eight great boom done and then it was probably 2002 or three i had graduated college was back in seattle and i was driving around and i happened to drive by another cigar like a steakhouse cigar lounge kind of place and i went man like i wonder what this cigar stuff is all about so i stopped picked one or two up went home fell in love with it was really intrigued by it did as i tend to do with things that i get interested in i do a really deep dive really quick and bought a 25 count humidor and that probably lasted about two weeks and then like started going to cigar events at uh, a place called rain city cigar in I've seattle which is still there yeah great I've shop heard. if you're ever in the northwest um in seattle i should say fantastic shop and uh just kept learning things i still remember like buying my first box of cuesta rays and tubos and thinking like man you are you are nuts now like you're buying boxes right <laughs> and one thing just kind of leads to another and you know seattle in the northwest isn't the greatest cigar culture in the world so just kind of dug into it and tried to learn as much as i could from um what i from events and stuff like that at the same time i was coming down to phoenix to visit family and we have a ton of cigar shops here we've probably had at its peak probably 60 or 70 within the greater phoenix metro so i would come down for like spring training or some fall league or holidays and i'm not kidding i would just spend a day driving around cigar shop to cigar shop and just okay what's like what is this i don't know what this is why is this this way does this taste the same as that do these two like is this the same thing that was in the magazine is this what is this why is this ten dollars why is this twelve dollars like and just trying to ask as many questions as i could and then that sort of dovetailed in with writing and where professional career was at. And the rest is sort of a big 
historical blur over the last 13 or so years. Wow. Wow. But are you, you're a native of Seattle? Is that what you're originally from Seattle, college in San Francisco, back to Seattle, then moved to Phoenix at the end of 2009. Okay. We have a saying in Seattle that you can basically make it to your about 30 before you know if you're going to stay or you're going to leave because the weather will have driven you nuts by that point. And I got to about 28 and a half and I went, I can't do this. I got, I need more sunshine. I need more warmth. And, um, I look, I love Seattle. I will say nothing but good things. It does have problems and certainly not the same city today as when I left 13 ish years ago. Um, but it is gorgeous. If you ever go, you've never been there, go July 5th to Labor Day weekend. It is warm. It is pretty. You have mountains, literally have two sets of mountains on either side of you. You've got Puget Sound right in the middle. You know, if you're a skier, you can go skiing. We're not really close to the ocean and our beaches kind of stink, but we've got lakes and all sorts of other stuff. It's international. It's cosmopolitan. It's got the highest density of Thai restaurants, I think, in the United States. Nice. Um, you know, it's at least when I was there, it was a very like I it always felt like the forgotten corner of the country. Like you tell people you lived in Seattle and you're like, where's that? It's like, well, it's way up there. And if you're like, what do you do up there? And you're like, same thing you guys do, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like we play sports and we go to school and like, you know, like I don't you just do things. Um and then it started to get a little bit more popular. You know, there's a company called Boeing that was there for a long time. And then like this little upstart Amazon and Microsoft and Nintendo and then like grunge music and a little coffee shop called Starbucks kind of got some attention. And now it's like Seattle. Everyone knows what Seattle is because it's a hot thing. And I still love it. I just like I couldn't deal with the with literally four months of like not seeing the sun and it getting dark at 4 30 in the afternoon i just so i swung the pendulum really hard and went to phoenix where uh, we just finished up a streak of 31 days over 110 degrees <laughs> yes. so, and we have an extreme heat warning coming this weekend so yeah. like you know hurricane hillary came up or tropical storm hillary whatever it was came up the west coast and there was some concern that like we may get a little sort of you know drive-by of rain and we got a sprinkle, but like the best part, and I'm not kidding you, the high temperature was like 95 because it had <laughs> cooled off the air enough. And you're just like, thank you, Lord. Like <laughs> it is not triple digits. The clouds are back for a day or two. It's a little bit of breeze. Like it is so much better than, you know, 118, 119. And of course, Sunday is going to be 115. So whatever. Oh, but boy. We also have Thanksgiving out in the pool, you know, by the pool with a glass of champagne and our shorts and t-shirts. So we have that going for us. Good for anyway. You. Good for you. No, it's all good. That's all good. Um, yeah, no, that's excellent. Um, I, I, I haven't been to Seattle in 22, 23 years. It's when I was there September, 2020 and, uh, late September. It was beautiful. Um, oh yeah. It's yeah. So I always my, tell people like you have to go July 5th to Labor Day because July 4th is notoriously known for raining. And I don't know why. And I wish I had a better answer. And then there's this weird phenomenon that happens right around Labor Day weekend. And I always would tell people when I used to work in radio, I was the director of operations for the Mariners radio network and their stadium is out. Like it's an indoor outdoor kind of deal. So it has a roof, but it's not enclosed. So you'd always like, you'd go to a game in late August, early September, and you'd be wearing a polo shirt or, you know, like a button up, no tie or whatever. 
and you'd be standing outside on a walkway and this breeze would come by and it literally felt like somebody had pulled their hand out of a bucket of ice and put it right on your lower back, excuse me, and went, winter's coming, get ready. And then it would leave and it would go back to being nice for a couple of weeks and be like, oh man, this is fantastic. And then like the clocks get set back and it's dark at 4.30 and it's just, bleh. So if you've never been there, July 5th to Labor Day, if you're thinking about going there outside of that time, I and if you're know. really thinking about going there like a week in late January and okay. see if you can hold on to that. Because <laughs> if you can survive the shortest day in Seattle, you, you may have what it takes to make it there. But right, right. I, I made it about 28 years and I went, I got to I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, but good for you. I'm glad you've landed somewhere. Hopefully it gets a little cooler for you. So, Patrick, you know, we, we... we're getting your, your lips to Mother Nature's ears. man. I tell you, <laughs> please do. I'm praying because I got an extreme heat warning today on my phone. And I was uh, just like, yeah, hopefully the AC. All right. Let's do it, let's do it make again. Sure the AC goes, again. Yeah. 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 That's right. Uh... You. Um, so there was a point you, you got into cigars. You have a career in the media. And at some point they came together. Uh, how did mm. that had that come out before you got the half wheel? I know you were doing the uh, I think you used to do the Phoenix cigar examiner for a while i think i remember if you go way back yeah yeah so it was an interesting sort of convergence i you know from about 25 27 on i sort of have always had like a a real job and a side hustle and something else that kind of would interweave and then one would lead to another or something would happen in another and it would sort of branch off so anyway i came out of radio and I was working with a radio station group and I was the director of operations for the Mariners radio network. And I was sitting at a ball game and it was sort of around, like there was some sort of conversation happening about the hall of fame. And I don't remember what it was, but it dawned on me that it's the writers that elect the hall of fame. And I never sat there and went like, oh, okay, now I'm going to go be a baseball writer. But my mom was a newspaper editor and worked in public relations for the tail end of her career. And I've always been okay at writing, you know, at least competent. I thought I could do a decent job. And I would write a lot of commercials and I'd write a lot of content for the broadcast. And I went, okay, well, I got to start writing somewhere. And the son of a guy that I work with had told me about the site called Examiner, which was launched as a national but like hyper local site. Right. So they would get into like neighborhood news kind of stuff, but they would also run national columns to fill in different places. So I actually started writing about men's fashion because I really do like a good outfit. And Seattle was always notoriously known for having some pretty sloppily dressed men. And I thought, oh, this could be kind of fun. And I can go and like just schmooze in clothing stores. Like this will be fun. And then somewhere along the way, I was still doing that. And then I'd moved to Phoenix and I went, well, let's see what they have open in Phoenix. And so they had a Phoenix cigar examiner column that was open and they had the national column that was open. Right. And I went, okay, well, like I've, you've already know my work. And like, now I want to dive into this. So I would just create calendars of events and interviews with shop owners and reviews and just sort of stuff that I found interesting. And then they eventually gave me the national column, which meant more industry news, stuff like that. Right. And uh, so, yes, I was doing that. And then that led to Cigar Snob because they were doing the old Cigar Snob marathons and they did one in Phoenix. And I wrote them and said, hey, I write about cigars in Phoenix. I'd like to do like a teaser article about the event. And then 
cover it, hopefully. And Eric Calvino says to me, he goes, well, if you're going to cover it, like, what if we just paid you to do the recap? And I was like, oh, sure. Like, awesome. So my first piece in Cigar Snob, if I'm not mistaken, was the recap of the Phoenix Cigar Marathon. Cigar Snob was expanding, trying to be a more national publication out of the sort of South Florida focus yep. that they've had. And so they brought me on to do that and contribute to some other things. And then I know you want to know how I got to Half Wheel, and that led to Charlie and Brooks calling me one day out of the blue. Actually, Charlie, so one of them emailed me and said, hey, would you be free for a meeting? And I'd gotten to know him through, like, seeing him at trade shows and stuff like that. And uh, we obviously was reading their sites and was really intrigued by what they were doing. And they said, look, we this is late, you know, second half of 2011. They said, look, we have this idea. We're going to launch a site. And, you know... We want it to be the best of what Brooks does and the best of what I do, but we need another person to really sort of be a third, not a third, you know, a third wheel in the best sense of the word. Right. right. And um, we need a, th- you know, we need a third contributor. And, you know, they said, we've asked 17 other people and they've all said no. So uh, what do you think? And I went, yeah, this could be kind of interesting. And so there was some overlap with that in Cigar Snob and then because of the way Different publications are different. Cigar Snob and I parted ways and Half Wheel launched January 1st of 2012. And here we are today. Uh, That's great. You know, one thing that I'm always impressed with the Half Wheel operation is this is 2023. And you guys have the same team in place pretty much as you did in 2012. And I, I, that's amazing. I mean, any business that's amazing, but what has made this work so well? Because that's a long time and a lot of pain. They could go through pain and, you know, rough points and and highs and lows. So what's made that work so well? Well, I really have to give credit to Brooks and Charlie first and foremost, because they are, I mean, this is, that is their full-time job Mm -hmm. is half wheel. And that was the plan from the very start. They basically went into it with more or less no plan B. Um, Brooks was in uh, photography for the Dallas, one of the Dallas newspapers, and he and his wife was were running a wedding photography business um, that did very well. But, you know, as you know, wedding photography can be a, a labor. I mean, a, a, it is a labor. And uh, so, and Charlie was, you know, getting out of college. I mean, Halfield was launched when he was still in college. In college, yeah. And so he finished that up and, you know, I think from the get-go, it was a commitment to like, we are going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to make it work or we're going down in flames trying because we're not going to half-ass this thing. And to Charlie's credit, and I will say this to date from, I will say this as long as I can, as long as I'm asked or can talk about it. He never compromised on what he believed the value of half wheel was and was going to be. And that he and I have sort of differing philosophies on that because I came from radio sales and, you know, there's, there's a certain side that says it's like an airplane. You know, once the plane takes off, if that seat's empty, you're never getting that money back. Right. And if you can cover the cost of a Coke and a bag of peanuts and whatever other incidentals it takes, you put somebody on that plane. He did not take that theory which is this is our price if you don't see it okay we'll prove it to you and then we'll see if there's room for you right 
And that was the, that was a commitment from day one. And I give him all the credit in the world for that, because that's what got us to where we are now. So I think that's really where it starts is that, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a plan B for those two guys. And at the same time, they also were two people that came together with very different skill sets and strengths. Right. And they could use those things to complement each other. And that was really a case of not just one plus one equals two or three, but one plus one equals 10. And then to have me come on board as somebody that could, you know, that was interested in news and, and could write a review and could ask questions and do interviews and shoot halfway decent photos and some other stuff that just gave us another set of hands behind the keyboard and another contact person and all that stuff. So I really think that's sort of where you have to, you know, where you start with things is the foundation that those two laid and the belief they had in the product, even when it wasn't being seen yet by other people in the industry. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, uh, good for you guys. Good for you guys for sticking with that too, by the way. So that's, thank you. That's a, that's a great thing as well. You know, but half will evolve though. Right. Because I remember mm -hmm. when it launched, it was, you know, Charlie was doing news probably for the first time. No one else was doing news at that level. It was the old cigar right. feed. Brooks was the rare and he was doing the rare and the pre-production stuff. And it was kind of bringing these two newer genres to cigar media. We hadn't really seen like news not covered this way and covering these types of cigars, but it along the way, Patrick, it, it, it changed where you guys became the industry publication. So how did that kind of evolve with that? Well, I think you'd have to go and maybe, you know, look at some specific areas that changed. You know, we, there was a long time where being first to review a cigar was absolutely critical for yep. us. And it's not that it's still not, it's just a different feel for us. And really we've changed that policy because we ran, we kept, we would, we would run into enough headaches with it that it became sort of counterproductive to what we were really trying to do, which is deliver a, an industry and a consumer resource. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I will never name the manufacturer, but there was a, you know, it came after a trade show and you both have been through this. You go up to a, a booth and, you know, you do your, you know, you know your highs and how ours is. And then, you know, somebody goes, all right, here you go. Like, here's your little Ziploc baggie of cigars. And they know you're a cigar reviewer. And they don't say, don't review it. <laughs> and you go home and you smoke them and they are terrible. <laughs> and you give the cigar a 74 or something. And then you get a phone call. Why'd you give my cigar a 74? Well, it wouldn't burn. It tasted like chalk <laughs> and minerals. Um, you know, X, Y, and Z. Well, you weren't supposed to smoke those. <laughs> well, wait, what? And why'd you give them to me? You're giving them out to retailers who are supposed to be making buying decisions on these things. And you know what I do. You, you know, I am a cigar reviewer. So we just, we, we kind of went away from that. And like, it started with, you know, not reviewing trade show samples to not reviewing samples that were sent to us at all to now, like, and to this day, outside of maybe the rarest of rare stuff that we do for like holy grail week which doesn't get counted in towards right. end of year ratings we buy every cigar we review and so that's changed a few things like 
you know, it's changed some of our ability to be timely with certain reviews. Like this week, we reviewed the Punch Dad Bod. And I said to Charlie, like, you need to put a bullet point in here about why you're apologizing for this review running in August. Yeah. As opposed to running in June. Because, well, that's a good point. And there's an explanation that is we want every cigar to, in theory, go through yep. six ish weeks of time in the humidor, time to get photographed. Et cetera, et cetera, and then we'll review it. And if that means something, then it means something. But that was a choice that we made. Um, you know, so there's that, and then you know, just little things like kind of refocusing our scope. Um, you know, I know we were. I think you wanted to ask about legislation, so I don't. You know, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yep. But you know, that was a real conscious decision to make because nobody else was really doing it. Um, you know, rumors kind of got like they were fun for the first year, but then they, yeah, they sort of got out of hand and it was like, well, we really can't be doing this because this could be something more serious. And that was actually when we sort of knew, like, hey, people read the site. Like, yeah, oh, there's a rumor out there that half people picked up on. Like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Right. So I think those are some of the bigger ones. Um, you know, the website goes through a little bit of a tweak every couple of years and goes through little tweaks, at least probably once or twice a year um, as times change and styles change. And look, you know, we're not an island to ourselves. I mean, people are reading other sites that are adopting different formats. And Charlie and I have that conversation usually quarterly of like, hey, go look at this site and look how they format their stories. Like, would this be something that would make sense for our audience? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you yep. got to think through it a little bit and you go, well, maybe this is, you know, this is the new norm of, of writing news. Do I like it? Well, I grew up in an era getting two newspapers a day, but we don't live in that era anymore. No. You know, no. and the person that's 20 years younger than I am, they're not, they're not looking for a 2,500 word expose, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, and I, you know, mobile's become bigger right now. I've, I've had to go through for oh, advertiser. God. I've had to make some, I had to make a tweak for a potential advertiser just recently to, to make sure that ads are prominently showed on mobile. So, uh, and that's now I have some limitations with the platform. I have now I'm looking at new platform for that. So I don't have that do this anymore. Oh, that was yeah. a huge change for us. I yeah. mean, I, I, I distinctly remember going through that of like the one that got me was when Charlie told me that our readership was now more than half on mobile. Mm-hmm. And, and i just went like wow like really yeah. like we're that's where we are you know but again unlimited data plans and yep. 4g internet and or wife you know or whatever um it was a different world and now like we're looking at i mean we are seeing growth internationally like we had never planned on so now we translate the site into different languages you know we have you know, we tweak our search capabilities. We work on our images to make sure that they're as crisp as can be. And a lot of times that means big images, but big images take longer to load and people yep. don't want to sit around and wait for images to load. So how do we address that? Yep. It's all, it's an ongoing set of tweaks and knob turning and, you know, experimenting and stuff like that. And hopefully getting the best result that we can get based on what we see working in other parts of the world. 
So I want to turn to one of the reviews here, and this is I want to talk about in particular um, the review that led to this cigar, the Numero Uno, because it was you mm-hmm. who wrote that re- original review, correct? Uh, which was an event only Hoya de Nicaragua cigar, which actually I smoked my last one when Charlie was on the show, so I don't have any more of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it obviously made history. It, it became a a number one half wheel cigar, and then it really led to this brand. So take take me through this because this was an event only review. Did you know that you had something really special, and this was something that would go number one? And then what happened afterwards? How much did that surprise you or not? As far as you know, Hoya de Nicaragua taking the ball and running with this afterwards. So when I smoked it, did I know I had something special? Yes. Okay. Did I know it was going to be number one? No. And as I proudly say, when there was one year, and I always forget the year, there were 34 cigars that qualified for our end of year consideration. Both of them, I think, got 94s from me. One of them finished first, and one of them finished 34th amongst the group. <laughs> so, because again, and I don't even think that's a that's a palate thing. I think I sort of know what my colleagues like over 12 years and what's going to resonate. But sometimes you just get a crummy batch. And that was one thing that we changed as well, is that, you know, we used to have this, the old policy used to be, look, you know, we'll get you the cigar and just smoke it by the end of the year, smoke it by December 31st, whatever the date is. So now we've changed our policy to where we we have to balance out how many cigars we buy at a time and stuff like yeah. that. But like, if a cigar gets a qualifying score, which is 91 or above, Charlie immediately goes out and buys three or four or five more, whatever the number is to, you know, there's a, some considerations that we have on hand right. and stuff like that. And then the reviewer is to smoke it within six weeks. And that when you get a, you know, if, if a cigar goes up tomorrow, it gets a 92, I will have a notification on our project management software that afternoon and it will have a due date of six weeks from the date of that review. Because, like, let's say, even say that we bought a box of Cigar X, right? And I do the review in February. And we eventually ship them to you guys. But you don't happen to get around to them until November. Right. Well, that's now... Nine, eight, nine months of age. Yeah, that, that cigar has not the same cigar. Aaron, Aaron pointed this out. The same cigar. By the way, Aaron pointed this out to me last year as a floor in my system. You're 100 right. This was an absolute floor in my system when I do end of year ratings. So yeah. valid, totally valid. Yeah, I hear you. I'm with you. So, and again, and part of it too was also we wanted to lighten the load of end of the year reviews yeah. because yeah. I distinctly remember there was a year, and it happened to be a colder Phoenix winter where I had to go over to a cigar lounge and like I literally show up with a Ziploc of cigars and my laptop and it's like, all right, here's my credit card. I'm going to be here for a little while. Just keep the coffee and club soda coming, <laughs> you know? And I was like, and that's not fair to be the fourth cigar or an end of the oh, year award. Exactly. That's not how it should I mean. You know, a cigar of the year candidate should be the only cigar you smoke that day. Or it should at least be the first. Yeah. So we've tried to tighten those things up. And, you know, there's just little things that just to try and make the process a little bit more clean and less burdensome on the individuals and more equitable to the cigars themselves and the companies behind them. 
Yep. No, I have a lot of respect for these processes that you you're talking about and put in place. This is a you know, yeah. it, and it reflects in your work. So this is good good job there. Yeah. So, now, so had, I, again, I don't. Did I answer your question though? Because like I said, it, I knew I had a good cigar when I okay. smoked that. I yeah. didn't know. I I can never guarantee you what my colleagues are going to think of a cigar. Was was there any? And I I think I know the answer to this. Was there anything? Well. We have a number one cigar that's an event only cigar, right? This now that's just something we haven't ever seen from a major publication before happen. Yeah. Um, an, an event? Did you guys did that all resonate in your mind? Like, should we really give it to this event cigar? Or was it like, hey, this is what we're doing, and, and we're going to stick and go forward with it? No, our our philosophy has always been: if a cigar is commercially available to a consumer, it's fair game. All right. And look, we caught a lot of flack for that. We, I mean, look. Here's the truth. We catch flack for every cigar that gets number one on half wheel because of what our what our our guidelines are. And I I feel bad saying this, what our means are. Mm-hmm. We have been a very successful company. Right. And I will never forget one of the most surreal moments I ever had with half wheel. And there's been a lot, don't worry. But one of the most surreal ones was I was in Dallas for for our end of the year meetings, because that's where our office is. And there was three of us, four of us, sitting around a table at a cigar lounge outside, and we were all smoking Davidoff Oro Blancos. And I went, there's $2,000 worth of cigars being smoked right this minute. Yeah. Between four people. Hmm. This is, this is not what I remember on January 1st, 2012, <laughs> of thinking this site's ever going to be. And believe me, like I, I'm the first to admit, I had my doubts about the viability of half wheel, you know, from the, from the first probably two years. I also, God, like how long is it going to take for this thing to gain the traction that I think it needs and deserves. And the, you know, I got two people who are doing this full time. Like they need to see some traction on this. Yeah, sure. And sitting around that cigar, that cigar shop and going, wow, there's like $2,000 worth of cigars on the table or not even on the table that are being smoked. Right. And then to see where it's grown to now. So you know, look, do I feel like it's weird that, you know, like an event only cigar or, I mean, look, the, my father, Humidor Deluxe was a real crazy one because that wasn't even supposed to be sold as individuals. And we happened to get lucky with a retailer who broke up a Humidor and I think got in trouble for it with my father for doing it. And that ended up becoming our cigar of the year. Yeah, sort of. But they sold it. That's they, they sold, sold it, it and that, it's not your it was fault. a fantastic yeah. cigar. And we have never said that, you know, we are we are not the site of the best ten dollar cigar. Right. We are not the site of the best regular production cigar. We are not the site of. We've never made that claim to anybody. Our claim is that if it is commercially available, and there's fifty boxes or five hundred thousand boxes. It's fair game. If we can buy it, it's it's a commercially available cigar. You know, what I love truthfully is actually looking over our list of like one to 25 and saying, you know what? Like, yeah, that Humidor Deluxe or Oro Blanco or whatever, I get it. That's that's what it is. But like, look at number three. That's at every cigar shop in the country. Look at number seven. That cigar is seven dollars, and it's at you know it may not be at every cigar shop in the country, but like it is a 
it's as much of a mass market premium cigar as there is that we would review. You know, look at that. There's no Leva Siri V Melania. Those are all over the place. There's a whatever. Like, I think if you look at the collection of our list, it's a lot better. And if you look at the gap between one, a lot of years, one and 25, I mean, you could put all 25 cigars on the table. And I don't necessarily know which one I would pick first because I would be, I would have analysis paralysis. It'd be like, you know, ordering lunch at the Cheesecake Factory. It's like, yeah. there's 25 great options on the menu. Like, which one am I not going to enjoy, you know? Or what am I going to not, you know, what am I not going to be smoking? So I think that's like why I like our list as a whole, even though if the number one is expensive or rare or an event only and, you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly flattered that they decide to run with that as a, as a line. And I never, I never take credit for it. I never, anything. I just say it's a, but Patrick, this is a happy, happy coincidence. Your, your review is why this is in the market. I mean, let's, we, yeah. that was never yeah. reviewed. I don't know if they, I don't know if they ever would have released it again. Maybe they would. I don't know. But this, I mean, but this has become an impactful cigar too. I mean, it's a cigar. Like I was telling you, my son-in-law likes this cigar. I mean, he's not, it wasn't yeah. a cigar. So he loves, I mean, so this, it's a, you, I mean, you, you should take some credit and pride in that because it, it, it absolutely is something that has had an impact in the market. Uh, as far as a number one cigar, you can make an art. It was very, as impactful as any number one cigar I've seen anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I, I have no idea what Hoya de Nicaragua was planning with that. You know, that was a, a diplomatic release that they decided to bring to market through events. There may have well been wheels turning long before I ever got into it. Did I, did that review and that rating, solidify plans that they already had in place maybe i don't know um i'm just glad that people have gotten to enjoy it because i remember smoking that cigar and getting probably a half an inch or an inch into the first one and going this is this is clearly better than the vast majority of stuff that you see and we all have our frames of reference for that whether it be an athlete or a musician or you know a painter or whatever and you see this like this person this product is just they're just they're playing at a different altitude yeah than the rest of the market and that was my reaction smoking uh the what was the number one at the time or numero uno right however you want to call it uh and i think what was also so interesting it was so unhoya like yes you know and it was just like wow this is I mean, I remember going into cigar shops and I mean, this was when, and I'm going to blank on the name, but I mean, you know, they were running ads with bulls on, you know, like bullfighting and this is going to knock your balls off. And this is like strong as balls and all this other stuff. <laughs> I remember and, those two, the, the know, Antonio's, yeah. Yeah, and Antonio's were like, yeah. like, like they might as well have been behind glass because like you didn't want anyone grabbing one and not knowing what they were doing with it, you know? Yeah. And then here is this cigar that is, nuanced and refined and i don't want to say delicate because that's not the right word but it was just it was graceful it was it it moved with a level of finesse that you just don't see in most cigars and was again at least from what i remember of hoya at the time was so unhoya like yet was just remarkable yeah you know sort of i mean I, I, I there's so many analogies i could yeah i could draw but it's it was just some, it was a company doing something I didn't necessarily expect them to be able to do. And they not only did it, they did it with 
incredible levels of skill. Yeah, and then the year after, or it was one or two years after, they got number one again with you guys with the Antonio Connecticut. Correct. So, so yeah, again, again with an unhoy. Well, maybe a little more hoya that was, but but not yeah, not someone it's, who was known for that. Yeah, it's really amazing when you know I I always think it'd be fascinating to be in these you know blending and marketing meetings, trying to understand what the American consumer is looking for in a cigar, and because there's so much of the population that is so vocal, but they are seemingly a small percentage, and yet there's a lot of people who enjoy their cigar once, twice, three times a month, maybe. They're not looking to have their butt kicked. They're not looking for, you know, fancy graphics or whatever else. And I'm, I'm not picking on anybody in this regard. Right. But, you know, they're not interested in the what's new. They're interested in the what's, what, like, one of my uncles is a prime example. He smokes a cigar probably once a week, usually with me when he, we're, we're in the same city. And he's like, look, I smoke one cigar a week. I want it to be great. What is that cigar? Because I don't want to try new stuff. You know, he traveled for work for probably 15 or 20 years, was on the road 200 nights a year. And his whole thing was like, I want to minimize surprises because I need to keep all my decision-making and reactionary capabilities for the clients that I'm going to see that I don't know what they're going to do. So I don't need to go to a hotel that doesn't know, or, you know, that may have a bed that I don't like, or, you know, rent a certain car from a company that's going to throw me with something with crummy side view mirrors or whatever. Like he was very routine and that's what brought him into cigars. And he has his little rotation of probably five or six sticks and he's happy. He's ecstatic because for him, the avoidance of a bad experience is one of the more key things when he decides to enjoy a cigar. Do you, do you find Patrick that the because ha Halfwood does a lot of work with their top 25 and, you know, the consensus, I know Charlie does a lot with the consensus and there's a lot of work. Do you find something that the Halfwood list gets a little overshadowed by the consensus? I don't know if I'd say it gets overshadowed. Um, and that's not, a, that's not a judgment on my part. No, I mean, no, no. They, just, Look, they both equally have. I know they, they both have a place is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think they serve very different purposes. Um, I think the consensus is interesting from a media analysis standpoint. I find it very interesting to see, you know, what's doing well and what's getting bulk levels of attention. Um I will say it's probably easier to game the consensus. So I don't always give it a ton of credibility. And, you know, what's, what's hard about the consensus, and I always tell people this when looking at reviews, you have to consider the universe of your reviewer. What is on, what is, what is in their universe? What's outside their universe? How do they review things? Um, what do they value? What do they not value? And that may work or may not work for you. Like if you never spend more than $10 on a cigar, half wheels, probably not your source for reviews. Sorry. Like we're, we're just probably not. Right. Right. That's and, fair. and if there's some guy or some woman out there that wants to start $10 and under cigar reviews.com, 
good on you. Knock it out. Like, you know, serve that market, serve them well, and understand that that is probably your best reviewer. You know, do you review, old, you know, not older stuff, but stuff that's been on the market for years? Do you only review newer stuff? Do you review Cubans, not Cubans? Do you review limited editions, store exclusives, event exclusives, stuff you have to buy in a humidor to buy? You know, like, what is your universe? And I think that's where sometimes the, the consensus can be a little bit misleading for me because you've now got this universe that is so jumbled with boundaries that it's tough to see. And all you're necessarily seeing is what was a consistent thing that got in there. Does it have merit? Absolutely. And again, like, if it leads you to try a new cigar that you're on the fence about and you like it, great. It's a win for me. It's a win for you. It's a win for what we do. Um, I don't know if I ever say it gets overshadowed. I, I just think it served, it just serves a different purpose. And, yep. you know, the there are certain manufacturers that really like that because they like the validation by numbers. Whether or not they endear themselves in certain ways to those numbers to help achieve that is another conversation for another bottle of rum but um <laughs> you know like that's that's just what it is and yeah. i i think there's value to it i probably get a little bit different value than other people do but you know it, yeah i don't i would never say i don't think it's overshadowed i think it's just a different tool that we look at and see maybe what's going on in the cigar media world yeah, oh, I get that. I think it's an interesting tool. I mean, we've we've certainly Aaron and I've given our theories of how companies can manipulate it, and I think you guys have rec Charlie and I was recognized that that it can be manipulated. But it's, I I still think it's the exercise has an end goal, which is you know it would would demonstrate. Oh, yeah, I mean it's it's a group thing exercise. And look, if you're a manufacturer and you're watching this, October first, get the list of the consensus on halfwheel.com. Send care packages to all the people on that list with a handwritten note and a t-shirt and a bunch of cigars and the cigars you want to show up on the list <laughs> and a, Hey, really appreciate your work. Love your content. Here's some cigars to enjoy. Have a great rest of 2023. Yeah. And then tune in on January 20th of 2024 and <laughs> see what happens. Yep. Yep. Oh, I, I already made my prediction for the consensus this year. So <laughs> I told, I told the manufacturer already what it's going to be. <laughs> Are you so, sharing that with the rest of us or no? I'll share it. It's Papa Saka. I said it. I said it to Saka. Okay. It's gonna be pa Papa Saka is gonna win it. it. There's no way it does. It loses it. I'm. 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 Stone Cold Red Pipe Lock. It's gonna be okay. number one, <laughs> unless he decides not to send them out to everybody. Okay. Yeah. So that's my prediction. Yeah. I, I said it to Steve. At, 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 I think even in the interview, I might have said it on the air. So, so it's, yeah, it's no secret. I, I said it to him. But uh, we get action. The reason why Patrick is because Saka Khan got number one from this consensus two years ago, and I think this was a much better cigar. And everyone in the media who smoked it thought this one was a much better cigar. So how does this not get number one? We'll see. Oh, sure. I, so, I mean, it's possible something else comes along. We'll see. But um, that's why I made that prediction. Yeah, it's, yep. you know, and again, like the consensus is such a different world than a lot of other things like, you know, the Emmys and the Oscars and the Academy Awards. And because, again, not like no one, we're all starting with the same, like, master universe but we're not all starting with the same bag of cigars in front of us right and we're not all starting with the same rules right yeah like 
you know, like some people drink soda during the reviews. We don't. Some people smoke, we smoke three cigars per review. Some people don't. Some people accept samples. We don't. I mean, there's, again, it's, it's such a weird, it's, it's an interesting exercise. It does show you some things, but again, like you're also playing by all these different rules of like, you know, if to use a baseball example, it's like saying, well, who hit the most home runs in baseball this year? And you say, well, it was Shohei Otani. Well, no, no, no. There was a 14-year-old playing in a metal bat league, and he's the oldest of his group, and they play in, like, high desert California where it's, you know, the atmosphere is whatever thinner than the rest of the country, and he hit 86. And you're like, well, but that's not even the same. Like, it's baseball, yeah. but we're, we've got all these different rules and like so he goes, well but he led he led baseball in home runs mm. patrick that was actually a big mm. discussion with me growing up with oh and aaron because i remember i remember when oh kind of broke aaron's all-time record and you know we didn't have internet back then that was a thing we talked about in the schoolyards i remember right that same discussion we'd have back then yeah oh yeah yeah all right so one other thing that, that half wheels really i think done innovative is your scoring and you guys have implemented uh i guess i'll just call it a, a blind scoring algorithm is that a, a, a an accurate term of that it's a fairly accurate term i mean the our scoring like i said we smoke three cigars for each for, uh, for uh, each review they are broken down into flavor uh which is about a 20 point component uh there's a would you buy it yes or no which is like did you put your name on the sat um yeah. combustion draw balance uh what am i forgetting or something else um and then if you were to total those points up and i would have to get the sheet out i think it only gets to like 75 or something like that right and then what happens is so we submit our scores and then there is a multiplier that goes onto that number that gives it the final score so the reviewer does not know the final score unless it's a zero or it's a hundred there's only two scores I can knowingly give a cigar. And that is if it fails everything. Like, I wouldn't buy it. I would throw up while smoking this. It was plugged. I had to relight it six times. And it had the balance of a baby giraffe. Like, that's the only score. Or I can give it the convert, the, you know, which is, this was heavenly. It smoked like a dream. Angels sung in my ears while I smoked it. Hundred, Right uh so yeah and the way that we do that is that when we do what we use the 30 to 35 uh cigars that come in for the qualify for top 25 and we say okay well patrick gave this a 92 and charlie gave it what would have been an 89 we try and figure out sort of like what our individual variances are to kind of like i don't want to say a you know like make up for a tough grader but sort of to try and average ourselves out so that in theory, a cigar would get the same score no matter who smoked it, if it was to perform the exact same way. Right. So it's it's not inherently perfect. But the other problem that we were running into was like, so you'd, you know, review, like, right, 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 right. All right. I got to pick a number. What do I give it? Well, <laughs> huh. 
It was better than that one I smoked last week. It wasn't as good as the one I smoked two weeks ago. Ooh, eh, 89. Well, what was the methodology behind the 89? Well, it's just what the reviewer felt was fitting for the cigar. And that kind of went like, yeah, that's as we wanted to get more legitimate and more, right. you know, anal- scientific and analytical. We came up with a score sheet that prevents a reviewer from knowing what the final score is going to be out again, unless it's zero or a hundred. Aaron, I'll, you want me to ask this question or do you want to ask this one? No, I'll this? get into it. Yeah, because um, I think this is a good point. This is Aaron's yeah. special question. He's got it. This is my special question. But Aaron, Aaron I have one show. We talk a lot about scoring. We talk a lot about scoring. So yeah. this is why. Yeah, is, scoring yeah. fascinates me. I, I, I like sure. to like pick all the stuff apart and things like that. So, and sure. all of our scoring systems have idiosyncrasies and things that, you know, they're, they're none of them are perfect. It just doesn't work out that way. So, I, but I have a question in regards to like your feelings running into certain instances. So, knowing that 91 is the qualifier for, you know, kind of the cigar of the year list and things like that. Have there been occurrences where maybe, um, you know, somebody does the initial review, it doesn't reach that 91 mark, and you just happen to smoke that at some point during the year for pleasure or whatever it is, and you're like, mm-hmm. wow, this is a really good cigar. How did it not score like this? Or reverse, where the initial reviewer did give it a 91, and you're smoking it as part of the process to that everybody smokes it, and you're like, what were they thinking? Like, how how did it even get this? You know, how did he give it a ninety one or a ninety two? Like, how, are those things popped up for you? Yeah. So I would say the latter part of that is more common okay. because we have to smoke anything that scores a ninety one or above, right. and then give it a score, and then we see once all the scores are in, once everything's done, we get like the master spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. to make sure that the math is all right and to get f- three more sets of eyes on it effectively. Yeah. And there are definitely times, and I, as I said earlier, you know, there was a year, it was, I think it was an illusion. God, what was it? But like I said, there were 34 cigars that qualified. Both of them, I submitted two that I know had a 94. One finished first, one finished last. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's definitely times where you smoke cigar and you're like wow i didn't i clearly did not have the same experience you did yeah or my palate did not respond to this cigar the way yours did clearly now there you know i do sort of feel bad and that like that reviewer got three cigars i got one yeah um there's you know look i mean there's there's differences in where we live and yeah. like did that cigar catch me on a bad day like and i try not to i try not to smoke if i know that i'm gonna or like do a review like a, a, a scored review like if i'm having a crummy day like you know as jose blanco would famously say in his seminars like you could have you know, like you're you could have a crummy day at work you get fired you could lose the account you know, your wife could cuss you out and I could give you the best cigar in the world and it wouldn't taste good. Yeah. Yet like you could get a promotion at work, you know, this, that, and the other, you found out your kid got into Harvard and I could give you a $2 bundle cigar and it would taste like heaven. Yeah. You know, so I try not to do that. The first part of it is I don't necessarily find it in like experiences because I generally don't, Think about what 
somebody else who reviewed a cigar thought about it. Mm-hmm. Where I do tend to find it, and I think this is more common amongst with Half Wheel, is making sure that our words match up with the score. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because there are times where, like, and I literally just had this conversation with Charlie about a cigar. I said, man, like, like have we audited the score sheet lately like and are, like are we current on stuff because i wasn't you know, i thought this cigar would have at least gotten a 91 and it got a 90 and the challenge that i find myself in is that i never want to try and like push a cigar into yeah top 25 yeah because the trade-off is I don't know what it's going to score. I can only give you answers to the prompts that are on our score sheet. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like if burn is terrible, that can cost a cigar a point or two. Yeah. If balance is a little off, it can cost a point or two. You know, I don't think I've ever sat there and said like, boy, I really thought you were just you like you just whiffed on this one <laughs> yeah. um but i i definitely have had the experience of like smoking cigars that got 91s or 92s and going man like clearly we did not have the same experience i can understand why you liked something or i can see where there's some merit in it mm-hmm. but you know we were like we went to the same show, but we had vastly different seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I was I had a poll while you had you had a great view. Yeah, you you were <laughs> like you were front row, or like you were next to the sound mixer, and I was up in like the third deck, getting yeah. like reverb from the roof. You know, like yeah. And I was you know getting contact highs from stuff, but like yeah, I think I think that's probably the best way to like yeah, we, like we were at the same show, but we had vastly different seats. Yeah. So Patrick, I'll, I'll kind of flip that. So um, mm-hmm. let's say, and I'm just this is a hypothetical. You you review a cigar and you give it an 89. Okay, not a bad score, but it's not something that's going to get sure. in the top 21. But maybe the other guys on the half wheel team have smoked that cigar, and they're like, "We think this is much higher than an 89. Like this is like, is there? Do you have a, a balance system where maybe that could go back into like be reconsidered, or or is it that point? Nope. Hey, that's just the, it's the rule." Yeah, if it missed, the first reviewer is the executioner, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, and that's, and that's unfortunate. You know, again, like I never, it's not a criticism. I'm just asking. No, Look, I, I lobbied for that in the early years of half wheel. I really did. I thought okay. everyone should be allowed to have a wild card or two. Right. That they could throw in and say, like, I thought this deserves a better look from the group, but it got voted down. Um. Yeah, I, I'm trying. Like, yeah, it's pretty much if it doesn't make it through that first hurdle, it's stuck. And that's like I say, th- and this is just because it's really fresh in my head. Like, there was a cigar recently that I really thought was going to get a ninety, but or ninety-one, it got a ninety, and not again. I have to be honest. I can't put my thumb on the scale and say i need to make sure this gets in Mm -hmm. so therefore i'm going to like maybe like could i do something that might give it a 94 like or a 95 like ooh, that's 
that's now we're talking like a different ball game here. Yeah. Like, you know, um, no, you just, you know, we, we answer the questions that are on the score sheet as honestly as possible. And then we try to make sure the words match up. I mean, I had that, I was, uh, I was reading over a review from somebody else. And this is what prompted this question to Charlie along with my own experience. I said, man, I was reading his words and like, that sure didn't come out like an 87. Like, if you're reading that story, you're going, man, this thing's got to be cigar, like at least a 90. It's like, yeah, well, there's construction issues. And again, I don't get to see all the score sheets, yeah. but there were problems that that brought it down that either didn't get enough attention in the text or whatever, or he was like, look, this is a great cigar if you're willing to muscle through it. Well, that's not something you should say about a cigar of the year. <laughs> right, right. I agree. I agree. Do you find it like, and I want to, I don't want to put you in a position to criticize other media specifically, but when, what's the half wheel process for the queue? Okay. Because here's what I see sometimes happen. And this is where I've tried to not do what I see other people do is I will see sometimes cigars get bumped. I know when, like, you know, you guys buy your cigars. So I think it's a little easier. Right. Mm. But do you guys go and let's say there's a really good cigar out there. Right. And you know it could potentially do really well. Do you bump it in the queue over other stuff? Because that could affect sometimes timing in terms of what. Because I see a lot of cigars that other media sites will review from brands that maybe they have mm -hmm. a better affinity to. And I know that they were sent cigars from other companies, you know, that are being bypassed, right? And that can right. manipulate what lands on the list at the end of the year. How do you guys manage oh, sure. the queue with that? Yeah. So, I mean, our biggest thing is we want to give as many companies and brands a shot at getting right. a review as possible. Right. And that can be really challenging because, you know, if you're company A and you put out one cigar versus company B and you put out 10, and then you have situations where you have, and I'm, again, just using them as an example, a general, an autotus, where you have 20 some odd brands in a portfolio how do you balance those things out and right. with readership and stuff like that? And I think the, the way we try and do it is again, spread the wealth around as much as we can look for new blends whenever possible, as opposed to like a new size of something, right. um, you know, look for a balance of countries, a balance of yeah. factories. I mean, it's, it is a bit of an ongoing balancing act, you know, because, you know, what what makes it challenging is you get occasionally these releases, like, you know, and I, I don't want to pick on Tosh Wahi, but, like, what do you do with Skinny Monsters? What do you do <laughs> with pick the one, Advent Pick series? one, Patrick. Jesus. Yeah. Pick one. <laughs> like, you know, what do you do with, you know, like an Advent calendar? Like, yeah. Yeah. In, in, in reality, we just said, well, we're just not going to review any advent calendar cigars because yeah. there's just too many of them and we have other stuff to review. I mean, uh, yes, yeah. there's, there's, you know, we try and keep as much of a chronological order as possible so that, you know, like shipping for us is a, is a rut that we just cannot sometimes deal with, Oh, God. which is like, Hey, oh, every cigar in the, flipping world has come out in october yep. and you've got 200 that are valid candidates for review <laughs> yeah all right well we're just going to 
try and like one from this company, one from that company, one from that. And then we'll see what comes out the rest of the year and just kind of reshuffle the queue as best we can, you know. Now, along those lines, Patrick, um, I'll just ask your opinion. Score, I call this scoring inflation in the cigar media. Um, there's a lot of high scoring out there. I just want some general thoughts on it. Do you, you know, do you think it's a problem? Not a problem? I mean, I know I think you guys have a very, I would say I think you guys are in the, the norm. Uh, maybe you're a little low. Aaron used to do it as averages. Maybe you're a little low, but I don't think you're far off the norm. But scoring inflation, because I, I mean, I hear it all the time. Like, I'll see, like, I'll give a cigar at 89 and someone gave it a 96. And then, like, I'm, I'm like, then I right. get a phone call, of course. I mean, is it, a, is it a problem or not really, do you think? So I will say this now, not to sidetrack, you might want to check your Facebook feed. Okay. Um, I just got a notification that it, the show ended. No, I'll just refresh. It's it's good. Okay. We're up. Yeah, okay. sometimes Facebook good. will drop the show uh, uh, randomly, okay. but we are we are we are live. So yeah, no, it's good. All right, good to yeah, go. But, but appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Myself, but yeah. yeah, no. If you refresh, I was watching myself. Myself, so. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the same thing happened. Yeah, we're, we're, but I'm up yet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I don't. I really don't pay attention to other sites' ratings. To be totally honest with you, okay. Mainly because I don't want. If I end up reviewing that cigar, I don't want any sort of. Yeah, I know influence in my head about oh well coop gave this a 96 or you know smoke that cigar gave this a 98 or whatever i think what's challenging is that you just you don't always know what a certain number means from a certain company or certain reviewer yeah because You have to understand, again, the scale and what the qualifications are. I mean, the industry works on a 100-point scale. And if we give anything lower than an 80, <laughs> the twi- X yeah. is on fire, right? Like Aaron. <laughs> Instagram is just, you know, like, 70, whatever, 79. Oh, my God. Like, that's, I didn't know that score was possible. For <laughs> yeah, cigar. that's where I was going with this. Yep, yep. You know, so... Look, I think it's like everything. And I can't speak for other media. I don't know what they're in the business of. Half Wheel is not here to sell you a cigar. We're not. We just we just try and provide a an honest user experience that hopefully guides yours. And we never proclaim to be the Bible or the end-all be-all of numbers or whatever. And, you know, like, we hope you disagree with us at times. We hope you think we're sort of right, or at least sort of in the ballpark mm-hmm. most of the time. But the other reality too is like a 92 on one, like two cigars get a 92. Let's just say for sake yep. of argument, mm-hmm. you may love one and you may hate one because one is a super mild, creamy Connecticut and whatever. And it just happens to do what it's trying to do very well. The other one may be a Lajero forward, Nicaraguan, Ometepe, you know, like straight out of the volcano, whatever. And you may go like, I felt nauseous after this. Well, for what that cigar was trying to do, it was fantastic at it. It's like wines or beers. Like if you don't like, you know, New England IPAs for whatever reason, 
it shouldn't matter that an IPA got a hundred point review or 98 point review from beer ratings or, you know, you know, sudsthoughts.com or whatever. Like you have to un- ultimately understand what's what you like and what you're going to enjoy. You know, look, if I can't say that I've seen ratings inflation, but again, I also try not to get in the middle of it because yeah, I don't want to know that somebody else gave a cigar in 94 because then am I crazy? Cause I didn't do it or right. Are they crazy? Cause they did, or, you know, I just try and give you my honest feedback and yep. oh, say, look, good. here's the process, three cigars. Here's what went right. Here's what went wrong. Here's an attempt to throw a number on it because that's what works for people. Go forth and prosper. There you go. Patrick, I'm going to ask this question. If you, if you, if it's something you don't want to answer, that's fine. So how do you guys respond to a company? And I'm going to say company XYZ. Sure. They're, they're I relatively love company un- XYZ. Which is a relative, let's say XYZ is a relatively unknown brand. And okay. they, they, they reach out to you and you haven't covered them with news or anything like that. So you really don't know. And they say, hey, we want you to review our cigars. Like, is that something that you will say yes, no? How do you guys do that? Because... I guess now you now you buy them, so it's easier. But there were times mm. you were getting samples, right? And because I know I've had to change my approach set where I just can't review everyone's cigar anymore. I used to want to be that guy. And oh God, yeah, no. But how do you guys respond to something like that? Dear company XYZ, thanks so much for the email. Uh, tell us a little bit about more about yourself. How long have you been in business? How long yeah. your cigars been on the market? How many stores carry you? Um, what are you working on for the future? Do you have anything? coming up new, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, you know, and then, and then, and then it sort of goes back to what they reply with, which is, well, you know, we've been selling direct to consumer out of a Honda civic and, you know, Bakersfield and, uh, like, yeah, it's, you know, we sold like 10 cigars last month and, uh, like, okay, probably not going to be a great fit for us right this minute but stay in touch you know like are you going to go to pca next year are you going to be a tpe yep do you have any new cigars in the works you know we don't have a threshold for stores that you have to be in we do like to see that you are in stores at some level um you know and like if you if your cigars have been on the market for two years we're probably not going to review you because we wouldn't review any company cigars that have been on the market for two years without some really weird exception right. being made. But let's stay in contact. Let's keep the conversation going. Yep. And let's see if we can make things align at a time that's right for you and a time that's right for us. And if that works, great. If not, do you guys ever get cigarcoop.com? You know? <laughs> do you guys ever get into a situation where okay, they send you samples, right? And you don't mm. review the samples, but do you smoke the samples and then would that lead you to go buy the cigars afterwards? Ooh. If it has, I don't I couldn't give you an example of it. Okay. Um I'm just trying I throw to throw an audible at you, Patrick. I'm sorry. But no, no, no. I'm just trying to think if there's ever been a situation yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you back in the very early days of Half Wheel, I was on a Drew Estate cigar safari and happened to be walking around Granada one night and came across 
what looked like a cigar factory, and it was the old Casa Mambacho. And I don't, maybe this is for Examiner. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. But I was like, okay, we need to review this. And they were not good, as they will right. readily admit. Like, it was not a great operation at the time. Right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, I mean, possibly. I mean, if someone really came along and I thought it was like, you know, like if there was a show sample that I got or something and was like, oh man, this is, this is better than, than average. Like we may want to take a look at this or, you know, I think the big thing is just trying to make sure we're getting a balance of, of companies. And that's look, how many, how many cigar companies were at the trade show this year? 180, 160, somewhere in there. I mean, when you figure in that we do six reviews a week or sorry, five reviews a week, one redux, we take a couple of weeks off of the show. I mean, that sort of does the math for you. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I think there's times like, I, I think if somebody brought something and said, Hey, look, you know, this is, this might, this is worth review. This is better than, you know, in, there'd be a decent shot I could get on the list, but I can't say I've ever recalled that happening okay. with us. Okay. You mentioned the show. So uh, before we kind of end up this segment, I want to just talk about the PCA trade show. Sure. First thing, when was your first trade show? When did you actually first go to the trade show? 2010, 2011 was, in New Orleans. 2010 was New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, 2011 was New Orleans. So that was the same year I went. That was my first one too. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So you've been there every year since, obviously. Correct. Yep. So, yeah, you've been going the same amount of time as I am. But so you've been through a lot of these trade shows. You've been through the same history as I have. Aaron Aaron came along a little later. He started going. Um. So that being said, general thoughts on this year's trade show coming out of it. Is PCA, is the show heading in the right direction? Uh, I know Charlie's had some thoughts that may, may or may not be your thoughts. I'm not trying to uh, say they're no, the no, same. No, but uh, what, what are your, how do you feel right now coming out of this 2023 trade show? You know, I was remarkably impressed by how smooth the show went. Yeah, I think we all, yeah. yeah. Like it just, again, you know, the, the, the old saying is, you know, you could hand out $100 bills and people would still find a way to complain that they weren't, <laughs> the serial numbers weren't yeah. in the right order or something yeah. like that. Uh, but no, I mean, Look, the cigar trade show is facing, has been facing a, just a growing challenge that almost every industry has faced, which is that, you know, say like true cigar, like true sales events don't happen as much anymore. Reps are out year round. We've all lived through the Jonathan Drew pulling something out and showing it off on Facebook. And I mean, I remember years ago, a rep told me the only reason he followed Half Wheel so that he knew what his company was coming out with. I, I know the rep, by the way. He said the same thing to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, mean, I know exactly the rep you're talking about. Yeah. We've all lived through that era. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, look, it's, it's not cheap to go to the trade show. No. There's... You know, there's time, there's energy, there's there's all sorts of things that go through with it. And the fact that, you know, look, we are an industry that is not generally welcomed in a lot of places. 
and when there's a lot of other things going on. Meaning like we almost have to have the week to ourselves because, you know, the custom t-shirt makers association of America doesn't want cigar smoke yep. crawling over the walls into their trade show, you know? Yep. Okay. Understandable. I will say, I think the trade show in the last couple of years has gotten a lot better. I thought the first one post pandemic was fantastic. I did too. Um, I mean, it was less people, but I agree with you on that too. It was like, look, let's just, I don't know. I, I don't want to curse or be vulgar here, but like, it was the first trade show that I'd been to in a while. It was not a big swing and dick contest. Yeah, I agree. It's like, hey, we're just going to sell cigars. We're not going to have flames shooting out of our booth and we're not going to, yeah, you know, do all this nonsense. Like it's going to be tables, chairs, a tidy booth, the new cigars, because as several companies have said to me, we don't need to bring our entire portfolio. We've been around for 20 years. If you don't know our portfolio yet, that's a different conversation. Yeah. And we will have that conversation with you, with our rep in your store in two weeks. Right. So let's tidy it up. Let's keep it tight. Let's keep it on the new product. Let's, you know, let's show you the experience, whatever. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I wish I had a, like a more passionate answer about the trade show. It's fun. It's great to see people. As we said earlier, there's never enough time and your feet hurt at the end of the day and you're talked out and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that probably happens in and around the trade show that leads to a lot of fun stuff that happens the rest of the year. Yeah. And for certain companies, like for the BCA Pavilion, God, I mean, I thought that was fantastic this year. I, they did much better than I thought. They had a lot. I didn't get a chance to really cover a lot of the booths, but I did go through it. And there was, there was, you know, there were people in there. Yeah. There, there was uh, like, definitely, yeah, which is a good start for them. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was incredibly exciting for me. Um, and I hope for them too. I hope they, those companies landed a lot of new accounts and, excuse me, are going to grow. And, you know, as I always say, like the trade show is an important four or five days. Second only to the 360 days that come after it and what you do with them because of those four or five days. Yeah. Like, you know, the, like the Super Bowl is important, but you don't just show up in the Super Bowl, right? It's the other days. It's the days that the industry's not looking at you, that you're out beating the pavement from, you know, you're, you're driving through Tri-Cities, Washington, getting to that cigar store in Yakima because you had a good contact with them. And man, they might... They might be putting a 20 box order in, you know, or 10 box order. And hey, let's, we can now say we've got a store here and a store here and a store there. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like, look, I wish there were, I wish there were events and spectacles like the Fuente Padron thing in 2022. I wish that happened every year. Yeah. That but was, yeah. I thought this year was, I thought it was remarkably solid, remarkably uneventful in the best sense of the word yeah and look you know 24 is there's going to be a lot of changes in 24 and yep. the 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 good thing about that is it could be really good for the show the bad thing about it is it's not a single variable change which you know what i mean 
is it the time of year? Is it does Altidus and General and Drew Estate coming back have effect? It's always a tough one when you're dealing with like multiple variable changes. But yeah, I mean, you know, and then how does TPE play into that and all that kind of stuff? But yeah, I mean, I you know, I was I was pleasantly pleased with this year's trade show. I'll say that much. I agree. I, I thought it was good. I agree with you. One thing that's coming out, though, one of those variables, like I'm kind of curious on what's going to happen with you guys because Half Wheel, I think, has the most breadth of any coverage as far as companies go. You guys hit, I would say, the lion's share of every booth. You've 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 mastered that. But a half day is going away right now. Mm-hmm. So how is Half Wheel going to approach that? Because it's got to affect things one way or another. It's there's just less time is going to be. Is it mean less coverage? How are you guys going to deal with that going forward? So we are still in process of figuring all those things out. Um, what I, I really can't get into specifics as mm-hmm. to things because there's a lot, a lot of stuff is still being flushed out and worked out. And, you know, we look at a lot of metrics, like, you know, what percentage of our traffic comes from the trade show. Um, you know, trade show is not it's not a cheap venture for us. No, no, it's not. Um, it's not a cheap venture for anybody. Certainly not a cheap venture for us. So, you know, we're we always look at you know what works, what felt like it worked, what didn't work, what is changing in the bigger scheme of the world. And you know, we're we're I mean, we just had a meeting this week about it as far as what we're planning on doing in 24 in light of you know the the not having that half day um the time of year just all that stuff is is in the it's all in the stew cooking and and being tasted and a little more seasoning and a little less seasoning and then we say okay well does this work you know like how could we get back those four hours for instance yeah you know, like where, where would we get those back if we try? And really, it's sixteen hours because there's four of us, yeah. right? So where do we get back sixteen man hours of yeah. time, right, across three days? Well, you know, like you say, well, let's, let's just take one person for example. So you say that's yeah, an hour and twenty minutes, give or take. Like, do we change our booth coverage? Do we not? You know, do we just say it's this more or where do we draw the line as to companies that may not get covered this year? Is it companies that don't have new products? Like, or is it companies of a certain size that, you know, your company X and you're a well-known company, but you're just not doing anything new this year, but we're still going to go by and see you. Right. You know, like, and again, you know, just where do we get more efficient with that? And that's all sort yeah. of being discussed for for uh for for march so i i don't necessarily know if i have a great answer for you other no but i mean obviously being... it's something that you guys have to change some make some you're gonna have to make some adjustments i mean there's no question i know we're gonna have oh, to make completely yeah, yeah no completely i mean yeah. it's i you... i think it hits you guys harder than anybody because again i go in i i know i'm not going to cover 180 booths but sure. um just the way we kind of do but you you guys do i mean that's what probably been the most unique thing about the, the half wheel coverage is yeah i mean it's I, been complete and i know you guys want to be complete with that 
Yeah, and it's you know, look, I, I, I do, the only thing I can say is I don't think there's going to be a great answer because I don't necessarily know how you get an hour and twenty minutes back each day. Yeah, I don't now, know either. Do we not spend as much time in the bunker writing, and we change that model? Do we change who gets covered and how they get covered? Maybe I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we're, you know, like there's an exercise that we're going to probably do at some point. This is how would we have covered this year's show if it was only three days? What would have changed? Let's just let's just go back and revisit 2023 yep. in a three day coverage window. Yeah, no, I, actually, I don't have a great answer. I wish I, I wish I did. Uh, you know? I don't either. It's funny. I don't either. Um, I actually know it would have affected us like catastrophically this year because we did our biggest, our biggest boost coverage was on day four this year, so yeah. which was unusual. So we know we and can't, that's what's we really can't tough about it, yeah. media, you know, is yeah. that like, you know, we've learned, and I'm sure you have as well. I mean, we've learned to become sort of strategic in cover, you know, in getting a mix of boosts that we can get up quickly boosts that generate traffic and boosts that won't take us a lot of time to cover. Yeah. Either for waiting or, you know, 20 new products or whatever yeah. the case is. And yeah. day four can be incredibly productive. Sure. Incredibly productive. We Normally it's been a very productive day for us. Yeah, exactly. It's been, this year was a little unusual that the big stuff got pushed out and that was just because of timing on our part that yeah. that fell apart on. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we have to. Day four has always been a very productive. We, you know, sometimes we've gotten sixteen booths in that half day. Um, small yeah. booths we're able to hit, kind of rapidly bang those out. You know, right? Yeah. So we know we can't like do what we did this year again. So it's it's going to be a challenge. Uh, like someone yeah. may not like we a couple of we we do a few extended interviews. We may not be able to do those from the floor anymore. So I mean, right. those are the things we're looking at. Yeah. Well, and again, like you know, if I'm speaking to you know, if I'm speaking to any midsize or smaller brand right now, how how do you plan your attack if there's a, de a better than decent shot that there just might not be enough hours in the day? Yeah. You know, do you get stuff out ahead of time? Do you do follow-ups? Do you do, yeah. do you do posts of the boosts that we didn't cover? Like, I don't know. I mean, there's... Yeah any gazillion number of possibilities yeah we yeah they're none of my ideal but none of my ideal but at least they're options yeah yeah i mean if you're you know any number i mean let's just for sake of argument if you're the 16 bca boost how do you you know what do you say like if you have to go into your strategy meeting and you say there's a better than decent shot we're not going to get covered not through malice or not through you know, lack of trying. It's just, there's just not going to be enough hours in the day. Yeah. Well, then I would, I mean, if it was me, I would shift as much as I could pre-show. Yep. You know, make big announcements ahead of the show, getting in. Yeah. And, you know, maybe not. And again, I guess try not to get offended by it, but. No, I mean, we, we. we it does have an effect. Yeah, we did a little bit of that, and then we sent we had the information, and I just sent one of the guys to take the photos, and we were able to get some stuff done that way. It wasn't ideal because I would have liked to have yeah. a conversation, but there was some of them we had to do like that this year. It was just it was just uh, limitation, and then, well, I think we're gonna have to do more of that. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Patrick, you were at the media conference and you asked probably mm-hmm. the question that was on a lot of people's mind. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, the the whole the new PCA role that's being filled by Antoine on it. And I know mm-hmm. Antoine a long time. This ain't to pick on Antoine. No, but not at all. You and I have both noticed you 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 brought the question up that PCA is kind of getting into a game of media media coverage. Uh, and you had some concerns on that. I mean, so what mm-hmm. are your thoughts on that coming out of that press conference right now? Well, I think first and foremost, I still don't know what it's all going to look like. Um, you know, where I, I don't know enough about what Antoine's directive is, what the organization's directive is, the, you know, what are they, are they trying to be a news outlet? Are they... You know, I just, I just don't know. And I don't know if I got a great enough answer in that regard. And yeah. I don't know if Antoine or whoever would be in that position is just recycling press releases or, um, you know, actually going out and doing feature pieces. I mean, look, I think the PCA has a, certainly has plenty of room to operate when it comes to industry specific pieces. And look, they want to cover press releases. That's fine if they want to. Right, I agree. Yeah, that, yeah. That's you know, fine. do do retailer profiles, legislation pieces. Sure, by all means. What do I care? I think where the challenge is is like, I found out about a Platinum Nova cigar through a review that was That's... in the PCA newsletter. Yeah, and I went, wait a minute, like, and I remember texting Charlie, like, are we competing with the PCA now for stories? Yeah. And where I got sort of concerned, and I don't know if this would ever be a consideration or even an option, but like, hey, get a couple of booth priority points for every exclusive story you give the PCA. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cute because you're charging us how much to be here? Yep. And we're a paying exhibitor because we have to pay for our booth space and all this other stuff? Like, well, like, what if you were selling cigars? Like, what if PCA had a came out with a cigar line? And they were like, hey, you know, we're sorry, Nick Perdomo. Sorry, Drew Estate. Sorry, whoever. Like, we're pushing our own cigars here. Like, that might be kind of odd that you're competing with your industry organization in that way. That was my concern. That was exactly how I read it. I'm like, you I don't know, know if they're going to do things. The points thing was saying, not even something I thought about, but the other points, yeah. That was kind of where I was looking at that. Like, so, yeah, I mean, I look, I don't know what Antoine's directive is. I haven't had the conversation with him. I, I we had a good chat at Puro Sabor before he even joined PCA. Um, and I consider him to be a colleague and a guy I have no. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Never yeah, had an issue with. Yeah, get, I agree. You know? He's a good guy. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just it's a wait and see approach. You know. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. On I'm that. curious, like, and I don't, I don't want to totally sidetrack, but to ask you this, like, what was your impression of the? See, I don't even call it a press conference; I call it media availability, <laughs> because I've been in press conferences before, and then I've also been in media availability, which is where somebody stands up and says, "Ask what you want," yeah. and then press conferences are usually like, "Hey, we're announcing things. We have handouts. We have slides." You know, like, what? What's your take on that hour of the day? I agree with you. It's not really well, you're not on the show floor for that matter, too. Yeah. So. In fact, I go to that and the rest of the guys go on the show floor because uh, there's no point in having four guys uh, in there. So I'm usually the guy who draws the store to go in there and I'm fine with that. 
I, I do appreciate that the PCA has been much more accessible, uh, this regime. And uh, I do think they have been more accessible. And I do appreciate them making time for a Q&A session. I kind of wish this session uh, would be at 9 o'clock, actually, before taking an hour away from the floor. Mm. But um, I do appreciate that because I do remember the days, you know, going back a decade ago where we just couldn't get any to talk to anyone at PCA was impossible. Like, you know, you try to find someone on the floor and you, you never hear back from them. So mm. I do I do appreciate that. It, it isn't a press conference, though. Uh, ideally, you do the press conference before the show where you announce certain things. Like, I think it would have been nice, for example, to have a press conference to announce the New Orleans decision. Like, that would have been something you make the announcement, you know, you, you put out that press release at three o'clock on the first day. And then there's a time for the media to immediately ask those questions that day rather than wait two days when the story's old. Mm. So I think that's something I would like to see. But I, I, I do I, I don't want I do think I do appreciate that hour is what I'm saying. It, it, I don't yeah. feel I, don't, I do appreciate it. Um, and I do say they, they do. They don't rush us out of there or anything like that. I don't feel like I'm ever rushed. So. Um, I'd rather have that than going back a decade ago, which was really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wrapping up, I guess, was there anything, just a standout company or cigar? Let's say stand up. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Maybe standout companies, but is there anything that really impressed you this year? Company wise this year? That oh. surprised you? You know, Charlie and I talked about this a lot. Um, I honestly with no disrespect to anybody, I didn't think there was anyone that really tried to own the show this year. Yes, um, I, I agree. And I don't all, I, you know, that's, again, I think a lot of people had great, probably had great shows. There were some great booths that were put together. Um, you know, my father was one that. Absolutely. I, 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 I particularly single out my father-in-law, Aurora as two companies that really went back to the trade show is a showpiece event. Yeah. Big booth, new product. We're going to, you know, we're going to make a, a quasi splash here, if you want to call it that. Um, but, you know, like, I also think back to the days of like the Davidoff experience. Yeah. Little tour thingy. That was cool. Um, yeah. Drew estate. I remember had one similar for that with the, 20th anniversary of acid maybe yep there was something yep. similar to that um you know i thought like sort of like you know casa 1910's first year when they had the mariachis and stuff yep. like that and it was a little more and i know again like i know not everyone's crazy about that because of noise and traffic and stuff like that um you know i i thought a lot of companies just I think a lot of companies just did the trade show right, which was they didn't seemingly go overboard with frivolous expenses. They showed off their products well. They they got to the core conversations really quickly. Um, and, you know, to me, that's that's good. Now, like I said, I do sort of wish every year that there was something like uh, you know, the one tape drone thing. Yeah. I mean, that was a photo that I don't know if I'll ever be able to replicate at a trade show, which is aisles just packed 
as far deep as you can see and yeah you know 20 rows of people in front of me uh, but again that's not a, that's not an everyday project and that's a very unique setup and situation uh yeah you know and i and again i feel bad like that like like i somewhere i sort of feel bad like nothing's standing out in that regard but again like i also think that a lot of companies just did the trade show really right and focused on what mattered without getting you know too ostentatious or too um too caught up in the noise and stuff yep. you know and i think like i say you know like when tatuai changed their booth down and went back to this kind of more you know scaled down version and i get like and i have nothing but respect for pete and his commitment to pca and the trade show and all in the industry but like did not having a 30 foot tall trade show booth keep you from selling any cigars this year <laughs> probably not did not having your entire portfolio keep you from selling cigars probably not yep you came out and you said look we've been here 20 years if you don't know us by now, that's fine. We'll have, you have another conversation. Yeah, you need to have another conversation. That's, an, that's another conversation that we're going to yeah. have with another time. Yeah. You know, this is a trade show. We're showing the new stuff off and we want to welcome you into the family and stuff like this. But like, that's a different conversation. Um, yeah, man, like I, I really wish like I had some. I was just impressed by how smooth it went. It was no it was a drama free trade show. There were no fires. There were no cease and desists. There were no, you know, like no. Uh, I, stood, I, I stood for the national anthem when Arturo Sandoval played it. Like, right? You know, like it's kind of a like it was good. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. No relevance. You know? No relevance. <laughs> so it was yeah, good to I see mean, no drama. I agree. It was good to see the no drama this year. It was because it allowed us to focus on a lot of those other things. Uh, yeah, by the way, I you know. yeah. I totally agree with you to my father booth. That was the standout booth of the show. I thought La Union was the standout product I saw. Like, it's the one I'm, like, was yeah. really blown away with. Uh, I just, yeah, I just thought they really, they did a great job this year. And they always do a good job, but this year, it just, the, the whole rebranding of Vegas Cubanas was was impressive to me. So, um, yeah, I was very impressed with that booth as well. And I'll be honest, I mean, they probably could have gone bigger and been every have every justification in the world to have done so. Yeah. They could have had a band playing they could have done you know they they could have taken that even higher up the scale of of show yeah. but for me it worked and i yeah. i have no problem with it and congratulations to them on 20 years and you know and, and, and i, I and think it was fine too well. I, I agree i thought it was fine too they could have but i didn't have it like i said they were both both parties were very willing to talk about that project it would have been nice having them together but that's okay we still got the story i thought with it which was good so yeah, uh, and it was impressive. So, all right, I'm gonna move us along, Patrick. Um, Please do. Yeah. Okay. How are you on time? Just because I know I want to be sensitive. I got nothing going on. Okay, I'm gonna be sensitive. Although, I'm still gonna be sensitive to your time. Some, it's gonna be a super late at the Beyonce concert. So he, yeah. You know. yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you got until my voice runs out or the rum runs out. So okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Take good. your pick. So I'm gonna do. I'm gonna switch gears. We're gonna go to uh, uh, some, a couple fun questions, and we're gonna do some of the baseball talk, and then, and then I think the other topics will be much quicker. So sure. I said this will be the long. So first, I want to ask you. This is um what I call the ties that bind question. Um, and this is uh, sponsored by Tobacco Area USA. 
makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Group of Scars. Tobacco USA, great things are happening here. So, Patrick, the ties that bind is named for a Bruce Springsteen song. Okay. And what it is, is it's a game. It's not a game, but it's, it's, it's a question I'm going to ask you. And I'm going to name three items, and you just got to tell me the common bond that they have. Okay. Yeah. Now, they're all cigar companies. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking for something more specific with this. So Aaron doesn't know the answer <laughs> to this question either. Um, but I want to see if you – I don't think this is a hard one this year. But okay. let me see if you can get it. All right. And, and here are the okay. three companies. Hoya de Nicaragua, my father, and La Aurora. And what I will tell you is the answer is not they all have their own factory. So specifically, something about Hoya de Nicaragua, my father, and La Aurora. And I'll say specific to this year. Well, I was going to say, it's not that Jose Blanco worked for him. I, I actually was wondering that one too. I had another like, one. Did Jose there. Blanco work for my father? <laughs> no, he didn't. Okay. I'm sure you made a stop in for a little consulting visit or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you got any of those uh, yeah, label shoes? <laughs> okay, so Hoya, Hoya Nicaragua, my, my father, father La Aurora. And think current is what that. I'm looking for something with that. It's not that they have their own factories either. They all had new boosts at the trade show? Sort no, of. no, but you're you're getting there. Is it trade show related? Yes, it's trade show related. It's something that each of them did. Charlie got kicked out of all of them. <laughs> Aaron they, got kicked out of all of them. No, um, I didn't get kicked out of all of them. Uh, but they okay. I'll even go. I'll give you a little more hint because I know cigar wise. What was what did they all have in common this year? Cigar wise, Let's at the see. trade show. They all released anniversary cigars. Correct. That is correct. They each had yeah. an anniversary release this year. And you could have you could have listed fifty companies on here, Coop. I know. I just <laughs> I, I, I try to make it a little. It's, well, what's, this is, what's yeah. funny is I didn't go through the La Aurora booth this year. And the only one of those three that I covered was my father. Mm -hmm. But I know La Aurora is always good for an anniversary. I just couldn't remember because Hoy did fifty five this year. Yep, yeah. they did fifty five, and yeah. La Aurora did the one twenty. Yeah. Yep. So they all had anniversary cigars this year. So that was good. That was good. No, that's a good one. Mm. Uh, but I noticed like Give every myself a gold star for that one. Yeah. It's uh, the, the 13 and eight years are big anniversary years I've noticed in the industry. So there's a lot of anniversary. Yeah. Cigars. yeah when that comes up. Yeah. Cause 2018 was very similar. They all had the same thing in 2018 as well. Yeah. So, so again, cause they had the 115. They had the, my father 15th anniversary and the Hoya uh, Cinco de Cadas, so with for the 50th. Right. Yep. So yeah, they all, they all, they all love their anniversary thing. So okay, you got that one. That's good. Thank you. All right. All right. Next question. This is a little more open-ended question. It's our cattle baron steak question of the night. Uh, Ooh. So uh, this is related to steak. And you so got like a from, sizzling sound effect in the background. Uh, yeah, I got to get that. That's right. So you're from Phoenix, Seattle, but you've been all around the country. What's your favorite steakhouse? Ooh, boy. Um, so if it's on a good night, if it's if they're on a good night, Durant's in, in Phoenix is one of my favorites because it's old town, like uh -huh. old city. It's basically where like they've been around for 60, 70, maybe even longer than that years. I mean, it's like every every person who had a hand in building Phoenix is probably eating at Durant's and it looks like it. You know, okay. 
waiters and tuxedos and nice like red leather booths that are clearly not sized out to people of this era <laughs> um you know really good martinis um just like great classic steakhouse stuff if we're talking seattle it's the metropolitan grill it's probably my favorite because they're one of the few places that will make bananas foster tableside oh nice and i'm not a banana guy me, but that's still nice yeah if you want to sell me a food item tell me you're going to set it on fire in front of me and i am in um i love that stuff and the guy that used to do it was this old guy come out of the tuxedo push the metal car down his hands just were you know super thick and just he had the hands of a guy who's been making bananas fosters for 50 years um one of the best meals i ever had was at elway's in denver and then i went back there and it just didn't quite replicate so i don't know if i just got really lucky one night or if it was a different location or because they have two, there's one Cherry Creek and there's one downtown Denver, and the Cherry Creek one was fantastic. Uh, those I would say are probably some of the best. Steak 44 in Phoenix is really good, but it's a little doesn't quite have the soul yet. Of it's kind of a CNB scene place, yeah. You know, but the food's decent. Um, I think there's a place in just outside of Dallas, or maybe even in Dallas. And I want to say it's called Richardson's, but don't quote me on that. But they have a cigar room in the back. How about Chamberlain's, maybe? Chamberlain's. Thank you. Yes. Thank yeah, you. I knew yeah, it was Jay, something like that. Yeah, Jay, I'm looking to go there, by the way. So Jay Davis is in <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jay's in the chat. Is it, yeah. I'm assuming yeah. it's Chamberlain's. And I don't know if yeah. it's yeah. it's if it's an Addison or if it's... But he, we used to go there. Well, we'd go there like once every couple of years. Um, oh, and I have to absolutely give a huge shout out, even though Charlie doesn't like it to uh burns in tampa and the guys from island lifestyle importers mm -hmm. uh, ryan and those guys yeah. This. yeah yeah so i was we were ryan and, and those guys do i don't know if i think they still do it but they, they were doing this benefit dinner in sarasota the same like a day or two before the tampa the ebor city heritage festival so Charlie and I had gone down there and Brian, who lives in somewhere around Orlando or something like that, had come over and it was my first time in Tampa and Ryan goes, hey, do you like steaks and do you like wine? And I said, yeah, like, absolutely. He goes, you got to go to Burns, da, 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 da. And he tells me that like, it's the largest or second largest like restaurant wine collection in the US and all this other stuff. And so Charlie and I were supposed to go to dinner. He bailed on it. So I was staying in Tampa and, I, and one extra day than he was. So I go drop him off at the airport and I go over to Burns and I go, hey, like, I don't have a reservation. Is there any chance you can get me in? And they say, well, we've got a party of four that's like five minutes late. So if they don't show up in 10 minutes, you can have their table. So if you want to go sit in the bar and hang out, do that. Awesome. So go and sit in the bar, literally order my drink. And the hostess comes over and goes, well, it's been 10 minutes. They haven't shown up. You can have their table. So I'm sitting by myself at a table of four, which is kind of awkward, but whatever. Like, I'm in the building. I don't care. Right. And it was the winter before my 40th birthday. And so when you go to Burns, they will at, you, you get seated and they ask you three questions. And this is at least pre-pandemic. I don't think they're doing all of them post-pandemic. But would you like to speak to the sommelier? Would you like a tour? And are you going to be having dessert? And so the answer to all of those is yes <laughs> so they bring out their wine list and let's see 
Hang on a sec. I want to grab something just for example. This is an old baseball scorebook of mine. Like, this is their wine list. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, right? And it's just like, okay, here's 500,000 bottles. Have at it. And it's, you know, everything from $40 off-the-shelf stuff to five figures, probably. But the cool thing about Burns is that you can order by birth year. Or you can order by year. Sorry. Okay. So I say, well, here's the deal. Um, I'm turning 40 next year. So I would like to buy, a, like, get a bottle of wine from, like, 1978. And they say... And the sommelier goes, okay, what would you like to spend? And I said, well, ideally like under 200 bucks. I don't even, like, I don't even know. I'm just throwing out a number here. Right. This is even possible. He goes, okay. He goes, well, what are you having for dinner? I said, well, I'm having your 100-day dry-aged steak or whatever. I said, okay. Be back in a minute. So the guy goes off and put my food order in. He comes back and he's carrying a bottle of wine and he wipes it down. It was a 1978 Petite Syrah from a winery that just happened to be in the same city I was born in. Wow. Coincidentally. Wow. And it was $79.99. And it was delicious. It was fantastic. And then they'll like steam the label off it for you and put it on a little card so you can take it home with you and stuff. And then you go upstairs and you won't, so you can do a tour of the kitchen, which I don't know if they're doing because of the pandemic and all that stuff, but right. you can do a tour of the kitchen. Which is like, if you ever want to see what half a million dollars in beef looks like, oh, it's kind of like, and like a 10 person salad making station and, you know, wine that goes back to 1900 and like some massive bottle of Penfolds that's like one of five in the world. And they weren't selling it, but the current market price was like $350,000. <laughs> and like just all this stuff, it's just so out there that you just, you know, the normal, sh you know, schmucks like me never get to see. Right. <laughs> And then you go upstairs and you have dessert. So everything I had to drink that night was from 1978. And then what's cool is that you sit in these like booths that are kind of designed to look like opened up wine barrels, but they're just ginormous. And there's a telephone in it. And if you pick it up, it rings the guy playing the piano and he takes requests. Nice. And she'd so be like, hey, can you play something like hip hop for me? He goes, sure, click. And Outcast's Hey Ya comes on the speaker next. <laughs> Like in a, in a lounge <laughs> piano style. And like, this place is fantastic. And, you know, the food is heavy. It's plentiful. You never leave empty. Or you never leave hungry. You probably don't need to eat for three days. And you probably shouldn't eat for three days before you go there. But if you get the chance, B-E-R-N apostrophe S burns. I'm going to try your approach. Maybe just go in there and see if I could get a table that way. Because I've always been told I have to get a reservation. It's what I would say is, like, if you can get the reservation and you know the night you're going to be there, do it. Um, if, but if you, look, I've lucked into things. I've lucked into more things than I probably should have in my life from just being in the right place at the right time and someone doesn't show up or, you know, someone's in a good mood or whatever. I can tell you that there was another year that we went that Ryan from Island Lifestyle and Charlie and I went. And we ordered, we each ordered a bottle of wine from our respective birth years. And it was just like, this is just, you know, and the service, like the other, God, there's so many like little quirks of this place. No, like all the waiters and waitresses have their own name. So there's like, there's no two Patrick's. So that if you call and say like, Hey, is Patrick working tonight? I want to sit in his section. They don't ask you which Patrick. And then once that person retires, that name gets retired. So like you always like is your real name, Patrick is like, no, it's 
that's like my grandfather's name because <laughs> they don't because have Williams taken and Aaron's we got Aaron works over in section three, you know, like, right. So I, we got to pick a, a name that means something to, to us, but yeah, I think, you know, if you give me those four, I'm probably pretty four or five. I'm pretty happy. Nice. And yes, Flint Burns is lots of fun. I'm going to go put my scorebook back. <laughs> I, I got it. Definitely. I, that's on my list for sure. All right. So what I'm going to do, Patrick, uh, I do a short sponsor read, and then we're going to get into uh, some of the baseball stuff and I'll do it. Ra- I'll try to do it rapid fire to move it fast. Pay those bills, Coop. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, we have to pay those bills. And first, we want to start off with JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars of Cuba, the leaf of choice makes one of the world's greatest cigars. Of course, it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate. It fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamas from Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years of experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Julius and Husso brought their very own brand to market and each contain that authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Limited Edition. Each represents that golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer, but should I ask for JRE Tobacco? Legacy is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Tatawahe, Drew Estate, Aganorsa Leaf, and Davidoff. They have the best cigar selection, best customer service, and money-saving discount cigar prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine and Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest, best stock cigar shops in America. You can place an order online at their website or visit one of Corona's five central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. And we're going to get into our Alec Bradley Live True segment, which we're going to talk about baseball tonight, sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com to find out more about their cigars. Live true. And yes, Alec Bradley still paid for that ad at the beginning of the year. So, all right, Patrick, uh, baseball. Um, we yes, talked a lot about you getting involved in. So I got I got five questions for you on baseball. And and actually, Firewire. probably a couple, probably some things changed in the last 24 hours. <laughs> yes. this, right? do, I have, so, do I have to get the standings out or like the wild card race or what do we do? <laughs> no, nah, you'll do you'll do you'll have to okay. that. No. Okay, <laughs> right. good. So so Patrick, like, I, I don't did, I don't know what the Philly like I don't know what anyone did tonight. I have I watched two games this morning. I mean, because I, I had to work two games this morning, so those are the only two I know. Okay. anything about today no we won't ask our specific game these are more All general right. things um why I did guess... judge swing at that 2-2 pitch in the sixth <laughs> inning yeah why did Boone? why did Boone pinch hit so and so all right so my first thing is you know there were rule changes um and i just wanted some of your general thoughts because i'm going to give you like my impression originally like, we heard a lot of these rule changes and a lot of us were like negative on it like i let's say i was negative on it okay but sure. I started hearing players and managers start to talk about this at the start of the season. They were very high on these rule changes. It seems like we've come to the consent, uh, consensus, but it almost is like the rule changes are being very positively received this year, uh, for sure. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, look, I absolutely love 
I love what the effects of the changes this year have been because I'll say a number of things. Um, and I, I, I don't want to speak for anybody in. Yeah. But like, you know, people always talk about the game or not, certain people of a certain age talk about the game, the way the game used to be. Well, guess what? We brought the game back to the way it yeah. used to be, yeah. which is like two and a half hours. Yeah. You know, if I had kids, I don't know how I could have them watch a three and a half hour baseball game. I don't know that I'd want to leave a game in the sixth inning because, hey, you got to go to school in the morning. I, you know, like, I think I was not inherently enamored with the idea of a pitch clock. I'll be honest. I wasn't. I wasn't either. Yeah. Same thing. But here's the problem. Like, the game got to a point where it was not becoming as entertaining. It was not being as entertaining as it should be. And let's remember, baseball is entertainment. Professional athletes, athletics is entertainment. You have to have fan base there. What I will tell you is outside of myself who works in baseball and gets paid hourly and I've seen my hours go down a little bit this year. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I filled that out in other ways, but that's okay. That's another story. Like the changes have been so good and so transparent that it's been remarkable and i keep finding new ways that i like it like for instance so i work i live in phoenix i work in spring training i work for major league baseball um i do pa announcing for a couple of teams here like there was a day and i don't know if you guys are familiar with the phoenix area or how it's mm -hmm. laid out but there's 15 teams here and there's 10 stadiums so i had to drive from salt river fields for a day game to peoria for a night game which is a yeah you know i mean it's i don't know how many miles it is but Without traffic, it's probably 35 to 40 minutes. And with traffic, it's probably an hour, give or take. And I remember pulling into Peoria and I got to the press box and I logged in. And I was talking with one of my uh, support people, my, my, my boss, I guess. And he said, hey, how was the drive from Salt River today? I said, it was like 40 minutes. And he goes, wow, that's fast. And what I was realizing is that the games were being played so much quicker. I was beating rush hour. Yeah. It was like, whoa, that's bizarre. Yeah. But like, I'm not mad at that. I don't want to sit in traffic 20 more minutes if I have to. And now I've got 90 minutes to sit and get ready for this next game and chill and converse with people and stuff like that. You know, like what I've said to people is like, it, nothing has changed about the game fundamentally. There's still three outs an inning. There's still nine innings. Like we still sing, take me out to the ball game. It's like going to see your favorite rock band and they're still playing all the hits. They're just not sitting there talking about, you know, getting high in the sixties. Like they, we just trimmed this fat out. And the crazy thing is it's in the rule book anyway, that a pitcher is supposed to deliver a pitch within 12 seconds. Like we're down violations are down to less than one per game. So people have adopted it. Yeah. It's not like, you know, we've, we put pitch commonplace or baseball put pitch commonplace to help speed that up. There's more action on the base paths, you know, like, you know, look, I sort of had some reservations about the shift because in baseball, you really only have two commodities, which are outs in your roster. So don't tell me how to use either one, but like, 
at the same time, we have three second violations in basketball because we want the key to be open. We have illegal defenses in other sports and stuff like that. We have shot clocks in basketball to keep the action moving. Like, I love it. I mean, this is so much more fun baseball to watch for me. So I am 100%. And attendance is up, which is, I think, the ultimate sales point is that we've had more weekends this year where, like, league attendance has been over one and a half million, I think, than we've had in, like, the past three or four years combined. Like, people are going to games, you know? So... Yeah, I get if you're if you're a total traditionalist and you think a guy should be able to throw eight pickoff attempts and take 35 seconds between every pitch because clocks are bad, fine, but the rest of us are liking this game. Okay. I mean, yeah. I like the fact I can sit there and say, hey, a two-hour and 45-minute game now feels long. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. And you, the, the word you mentioned, transparency, was actually a, a, kind of resonated with me because you're right. They have been transparent a lot of these changes. I haven't really thought about it much as I'm watching a game. I'm like, and these things are going on. It really hasn't like, yeah, these are good games I'm, I'm watching. And uh, so it really yeah. hasn't. Yeah. When you said transparent, that kind of really resonated with me. Yeah. I mean, it's. Look, you know. We didn't get here overnight. Baseball is a sport. Didn't get to this three hour and seven or eight minute, whatever the peak was for length of time. We didn't get here overnight. It was a 30 year process. And to think that something as simple as a clock between pitches could speed that up. I mean, we were down 27 minutes time of game last year to this year. Yeah. And what are we trimming out? Fat. Yeah. It's not like we went down to three balls as a walk and two, Strikes is a strikeout. We didn't say there's a limit on the number of batters that you can send up in an inning. Like, I mean, it's just, we just got rid of fat. Yeah, it's players' fault anyway that we had gotten to this point. Like, you know, that previously they had been able to run those games quickly because it was just a faster pace of game. And, you know, Nomar's got to change the Velcro 20 times every between every pitch and, you know, stuff like that. So, And again, like, I always thought baseball was sort of a sport that was death by paper cuts you know like it was really rare that you'd have an instance in baseball where there was some massive slowdown or stoppage right and i think we saw it you know prime example was like uh stone garrett the other night crashing the wall broke his fibia had to be carted off the field like that's a significant stoppage right yep but again like if your third baseman has to jog out to shallow right field. That's an extra 15, 20 seconds. If he then, because then he's got to jog back. And then, like, your shortstop and your second baseman have to switch, or, you know, like your second baseman's got to go play in right center. Like, all those little things take time. And baseball became a sport, I think, that was really fascinated with velocity. And it still is. And a lot of guys took the approach of, I want to maximize the time between pitches to maximize how much energy and recuperation I can take to throw the next pitch. Yet, like, John Duran from the Twins is still not having any problem getting 103 up there at every pitch in this new model. Like, that seems to still be working. You know, like, I know, I love it. Like I said, I I really love what baseball did this year. I, I think it's great. I 
I may have some like, you know, don't tell me where to put my infielders, but I'm more or less over that. So. No, that's fair. All right. Um, Patrick, I remember you made this statement uh, when we were down at Lazona Palooza in 2019. You were on the KMA segment with Eric Espinoza, and you said something that really, I think, hit home for me. And it was you were talking about Mike Trout. And you really were kind of talking about how he's like this generational player we has we have right now. And he's like, really, we're seeing something special. And I'm, it's, now it's a few years later. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You still think like we're looking at something that's incredible right now uh, as far as a, a, a generational player? Yeah, I mean, look, is he performing? Well, he's not even been on the field a lot this year. So yeah, that's been a challenge. Yeah. And that's. You know, that's unfortunate. Um, and I would say the same thing about Shohei. Um, you know, and there are a lot of guys, you know, every year there's, I think, something like five to 10, maybe even 12 Hall of Famers actively playing in a major league season. So, you know, some of those are true superstars. Um, some of those are just really, really, really good players. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the numbers that Trout was putting up in his, you know, pre-seeming injury-prone span that we're in right now, yeah, I mean, they were they were remarkable. I mean, he was a he was a true generational talent. Shohei, I was just going to ask you about this now. Go to Shohei, yeah, yeah. I mean, ligament problem notwithstanding, this it's sort of hard to say because of the era argument, and again with him not pitching the rest of the year this may have been one of the greatest seasons ever posted by a human being yeah yep i mean I, and even if you stop it on august 24th it's probably still one of the greatest seasons ever put up by a human being because like the league leader in home runs is also the league leader in like you know is also top 10 in wins and strikeouts and innings pitched and you know just like all this stuff it's like you just don't see these people because it is so hard to do the baseball writers don't see these people either yeah we we had this <laughs> debate a little last year with the judge versus otani thing because we all thought otani had an incredible year last year as well yeah oh absolutely yeah. sure yeah yeah and that's you know i look it's you know look value value is the most subjective word in the world and I wish there was a better way to solve it, but there's not. And again, like you saw two very historic monumental seasons for two very different reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I I don't know. I mean, I, I probably still would have gone with Shohei as an MVP, but... I mean, you can't knock the roster, the roster flexibility itself by taking up two positions for one player, right? right. That that's that's called valuable, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's exactly the definition of valuable. Look, there were years I thought Ben Zobris should have won MVP. Yeah, because he could play six positions. Yeah, and he could hit. Yeah, like and again, yeah. is Ben Zobris an all star or you know an absolute stud? No, but look, we have we're seeing it again right now. Mookie Betts. The, the versatility that Mookie Betts is giving the Dodgers right now is out of this world. And it is 
unfortunately, I think getting overlooked for some reason, and I don't exactly know why, other than, you know, Acuna and Olsen are having these fantastic years in Atlanta. And Atlanta is just a monster of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they've got, I was looking like they're, they've got like an OPS of a thousand in the first inning. It's like you're facing the 27 Yankees every first inning when you face the Braves. And they were incredibly durable. They had four guys or five guys that until Albies missed a game the other day had played every game this year. Like they're just phenomenal. Um, But yeah, I mean, you're, you know, when you get into this value conversation, it's like, you know, if Shohei could do what he did without getting injured, I mean, God, like, where do you even start that conversation? I mean, you literally started with Babe Ruth. Yeah, that's who. Yeah, it's. I don't know who else you could really put out there. You know, does he stay with the Angels? I don't know what he happened. What happens to him now after yeah. with this injury? I mean, he may not pitch again until he's thirty-one, and it will be his second Tommy John surgery, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, and that comes with a ton of risk. The problem that I foresee is I don't know how you value the guy. And I don't know what his priorities are. Um, Clearly, it looks like the Angels tried to make a good case for him to stay around by not trading him this year, acquiring players. Things went in the toilet, obviously, and they've had problems since the trading deadline. I mean, there's only five or six teams that could afford him. And then... Like, what do you pay the guy? Because it's great when he's healthy and on the field, but no player, I believe, makes more than 17% of their team's payroll, if I'm not mistaken. And that is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, if you lose him, I mean, do you want $50 million sitting on the bench? That's a real, I, I don't know. I mean, he may have backed himself into, a, or not backed himself, but he may have gotten himself into a really weird situation as to where he can play and what the contract. I mean, I've heard teams that were looking into ownership stakes, you know, as yeah. a way to try and compensate him some way. Do you do some like massive deferral deal? I don't know. I mean, it's, I just, I couldn't, I think you come up with a number as a team and you say, look, it's six years and a hundred and, 200 million or whatever the number is, if you're a big market team and you go, if you don't accept it, like, fine, we just can't, we can't put that much load on one side of the boat for fear of it tipping over. Yeah. Yep. Where do you well, think he ends up, Coop? I think, he stays. I think he stays. Yeah. I think he stays. I think he's gonna his best thing, his best option is gonna be to stay because I think some of these other teams are not gonna make the move now. Because he was attracted the attraction of him was to get that two way player. And now if there's some question, I think the Angels will be still most likely to try to keep him. Yeah, I didn't I mean, think I, that twenty four hours ago. I didn't think that twenty four hours ago. I, I don't yeah, see I mean, why anybody would, would want to stay in LA. Money. But I mean, but I guess if that's your their only motivator, you just go to the whoever's going to pay the most, right? But if you want to like the the organization has not shown that it 
can make good decisions. Yeah. You know, uh, so do the Yankees do it? They're, they have a fragile base, right? They're very, you know, do you want to bring an injury a guy down with an injury? You're going to bring him into the Yankees, which have had their injury problems. But that's the thing is, you know, yeah. does, does he even continue to pitch? Like, is he done pitching? I, I always, Patrick, I don't know what you thought about this, Aaron. I didn't think he was going to have a long pitching career to begin with. I thought maybe two to three more years max. And then they were going to probably just move him out of that role. That was always my thinking on that. Just like oh, age would catch up. Yeah. I mean, look, it's always tough to say because yeah, and everything can be so fragile and, you know, between injury and performance and just, you know, it's again, it it's hard to make it to the big leagues. It's harder to say. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think everyone always said like he's one pulled uh lat away or a you know, a someone away from not being the guy who you're expecting. And now he's definitely not the guy that you're expecting a week ago. No. Or 48 hours ago, yeah. You know, and he's already shown or been somewhat understood that he's not going to play outfield. Could you maybe make him a first baseman? Maybe. Could you? But then again, like, and then you go, okay, well, he's a DH. If he is a DH, and that's all, that's a lot of money to put to a guy who can't go out in the field. Yeah. And but, you better be phenomenal. I mean, that's like, could, now you're in David Ortiz territory. Pretty close. Maybe, sure. I don't. I mean, but closing you know. is a lot because that's every. You know, he's out there every. You know, not every day, but many he's in days. The lineup every day. You just move him over. Yeah, that's an interesting scenario. I mean, it certainly look with a guy of his caliber. Anything is in theory possible outside of probably playing yeah. the infield. You know, yeah. like he won't play the outfield, obviously, or at least it's shown that he is not going to, or that was not part of the plan. Uh, you know, look, I think you got to get through the arm issue and see where he's at in 18 months or whatever it is. I mean, look, Steven Strasburg's effectively retiring. Yeah. The guy pitched 31 innings after signing that nine-year deal. And if you haven't read it, not to sidetrack, go read the Washington Post article about it. It sounds like his life has been absolutely miserable. Like they were missing things, doing surgeries that didn't fix problems. Wow. It's a, like he wow. said he couldn't stand up without his hand going numb. Hmm. Like it's a real fascinating article, and I believe it's free. So definitely worth a look. Definitely. All right. Um, as far as the upcoming going into the playoffs, I'll ask you the question this way: We know who the favorites are, right? Mm-hmm. Do you see a darker horse team? making a like a Phillies type run this year in the playoffs. Someone who maybe we're not looking at that's gonna get into the playoffs and make that run. Seattle. They're playing good, yeah. And I'm again, I'm a bit of a homer and we're the only well, I should say we, I don't like saying that. The Mariners <laughs> are the only team to have never been in a World Series. So I would really like to see that finally come to an end. Um I could see them getting hot, you know, like um the team that I don't know enough about is the Giants. They're doing something right. I just don't either. I don't see them enough, and I don't know what they're doing right, but like they're they're interesting. 
I thought the Cubs could have been in there for a minute. I'm not Cubs look like they sure had a schedule. They have a schedule though. The Cubs schedule looks very favorable for them though. Well, that could, yeah. they could make win some games, but once again, the playoffs, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is that you know baseball is this really unfair sport in that you go from having to run a marathon to having to run three sets of sprints, and that's a very different skill set. Yeah, because you can hide some things over the course of a marathon based on who your opponents are that you can't hide in a sprint against an elite team. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sort of, I, I don't root for anybody, but I am always impressed when I see teams like the Orioles doing what they're doing right now. Um, and I would say the same about the Rays, you know, the team that just yep. always finds a way and does it without spending a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Phillies are certainly built for. We have the pitching to do it. A, um, a, for for that, for the playoff series. Yeah. I mean, we're which is really interesting because that seems like a philosophical change from some teams of like, we need to win 105 games to know we need to get in the playoffs. And then we need to be able to win these sprints. Yeah. And that's a and that's a different thought process and seems to have dominated the last couple of years. Because every from a cost perspective, every one of those incremental wins gets more and more expensive and they do you less and less good. Yeah. Because 99 wins and 100 wins is effectively the same thing. But the cost to get that 100th win that's why I like generally I like, over market value. Yeah, that's why I'm looking at the Rays carefully too. I think they'll they'll they could maybe get in the four and then possibly they take out the Orioles. Like they yeah, could, yeah so that's kind of what I looked at that. Assuming the Orioles or Texas, I guess would be one of those two teams. Yeah, I mean, you know, Texas is scuffling a little bit right now, but maybe that's good for them. Maybe they need to do that now. Yeah. You know, I think that AL West race is going to be phenomenally interesting, assuming there's some consistency to what's been going on the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, because again, that race is by no means settled. The wild card is going to be interesting. And I, I was, again, in the same sense, I was kind of, you know, quietly cheering for the Orioles. I was kind of excited to see what the Reds were doing and just being young and kind of not all over the place, but just be like, oh, wow, like, this team that kind of went for it a couple of years ago and it failed miserably mm-hmm. now is developing in house. And they've got LED of the cruises and steers and all these other kids that are like, Oh, wow. Well, like these kids are all right. Yeah. And old man Votto, you know? Yeah. He's done. Yeah. Yeah. He's out for he's out, I I believe a while. Him. Yeah. Miguel he just won the IL today, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Miguel's going to be heartbroken. Uh, <laughs> he's a, yeah. They get. They well, need some. They need a pitch. The Reds need a pitch. Yeah, I mean the Reds have been be a good, good story this year. They've been a good story yeah. this year. So, yeah. All right. Last question. It is so. Baseball records. We all love to watch them, right? What's a baseball record you, that you think could be realistically broken? Um, for example, like I, Jack Chesbro's forty-one wins is not going to be realistically broken. But is there right. a, a single season record or a career record that maybe is on the horizon that you could see realistically broken, like one of these records? Yeah, you know, there's, I'm sort of a geek, and I like the on-base record, which was like eighty-six 
games in a row or something like that by uh-huh. Ted Williams, I believe. Yep. Um, it's a tough one, but there's more ways to do it. And it's not always batter skill dependent because you can get walked and you can, you know, you can find your way on base for a couple of different ways. Um, you know, like selfishly, I would love to see somebody break Bonds' home run record just to like <laughs> an asterisk it, hopefully. Um, I am very intrigued to see if anyone can come close to stolen base records. You I know, actually, I, that was I, one I, I, I wondered that too. I, I don't know, but it's, you know, like we've got two guys right now who are already past last year's stolen base record or stolen base leader, which is John Birdie, who had 41. Um, Estuary Ruiz and Ronald Acuna Jr., I believe, are both well past that mark. Yeah. You know, the game has changed and analytics have changed and sort of the value of, of stolen bases has just been looked at differently. But I, I mean, it makes you wonder, like, is Billy Hamilton and Terrence Gore just, like, absolutely kicking themselves for being in the league at the wrong time? <laughs> yeah. Like, now what would they, Billy Hamilton be doing this year? Place to help you out as much as they can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, Billy Hamilton still Hamilton. couldn't get on base. <laughs> well, on base. it didn't matter. Yeah, they don't change the rule about you can't steal first. But, like, <laughs> what would these guys be doing right now, you know? Yeah. Like, that's just – that's a fascinating one to me. I mean, I think there's a lot that are just – the game is just so different from when some of these records were set. Like, RBI records are just – that's a tough one. Yeah, that's one I don't think we would see, yeah. Um. I thought maybe the save record at some point in my lifetime could be broken just because of the nature yeah. of the special you know, 60. I, I don't know if there's anyone right now that could get the 60 saves, but I could see the way the game is. Someone could come along yeah. and get it. Oh yeah. I mean, look, you've got the right team in the right situation and, you know, and the thing is it can, for as many like great closers as we could probably rattle off, you can also sort of not be a great closer I think the, I think the worst teams, the worst teams probably gave you the give you the best opportunity because you're gonna eke out those 60 wins that you get in a year, right? And it's gonna well, leave you that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need teams that aren't just so off like they they have to be a little bit better than like a 500 team. They've got to be in games, but they've got to also be winning them mm-hmm. to set up save opportunities. Um you know, there's, and again, like, I th- I sort of think you can be, you can have, a, you can, you could rattle off a one-off season somewhere. Yeah. And then maybe get that record. Um, God, I'm trying to think what would be another good one. I'm sure there's some esoteric ones that I, yeah, you know, that. I, I I don't know how deep you want to go down the rabbit hole on those. No, but, no, I mean, um, I was just general thoughts was all. I was, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's tough because a lot of these records you're talking about just completely different gameplay and style of game, and um, you know, in theory, being out of the steroid era. I mean, I don't even know if if a Bonds if breaking that record it would even be possible. I mean, I was there when Ichiro, you know, had his incredible season of 
a hit record. 200 and something yeah. hits. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, is that possible? You know, like, everyone was excited about Luis Arise this year and getting close to 400. And time caught that, up with him, too. That you know grind I mean? just gets to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the fact that you're, you may be facing three or four different pitchers in the game. Yeah. Who have all got just ungodly stuff. Yeah. That's no, true. Okay. This is our Espinosa This Day in Sports History question, sponsored by All Espinosa right. Cigars, makers of watering brands such as Espinosa 601 and Knuckle Sandwich. Smoke Espinosa, smoke Espinosa every day. So this is a question on August 24th in sports history. All right. Okay. And it's, I think this is a softball one, but it has to be. Oh, asked. boy. All right. On this day on August 24th, and I'm not going to tell the year because it would give it away. Okay. There was a major decision that came from the commissioner's office on August 24th. What was that major decision? And you're not even going to tell me the sport. Baseball. Oh, it's ba- this is a baseball question. Oh, it's a baseball, baseball question. question. I'm sorry. Okay. It's a baseball question. Yeah, yeah it's a okay, baseball. No, no, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that would, I mean, this was uh, a major one. Gosh. I feel like I should like I'm gonna know this when you the designated hitter was announced. It is not think the about, designated think about something even more major than that. Something more major than that. Like a very like a very big deal for baseball. Big it's still talked about today. It's debated today that this because of this decision. <laughs> you want me to give the year? You might have run or run into uh, somebody related to this during the trade show. You might have run into somebody related to. Oh this wow! Trade. Now you got me on that one. Uh, it, it, maybe I'm thinking the wrong thing. Okay. It is related. You want me? To, I'll, I'll, I'll say something else. It was related to a player. That's what that, I'm. Well. Yes, I'm referring to a player that you might bump into in Vegas. Oh, yes. Okay, yes, yes, correct. Yes, maybe not. Yeah, in Vegas. Yep, you're you're on the right track. So something about Pete Rosen? Yes. Yes. It was like Pete Rosen's band from baseball? Giamatti banned him. Giamatti, okay. Yeah, I remember. I was thinking like a... I was thinking like a gameplay, just like a, you know. Oh, no, no, no. Something related to like the mound was lowered or the designated or the league started playing each other or, you know. No, no, it was, yeah, it was people. I remember where I was of all places. I was in a casino in Atlantic City when this (laughs) happened, actually. (laughs) When the decision came, I was in a casino. (laughs) You know, we didn't get the Reds, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the other things I thought was really great about baseball, and it's created some logistical challenges, but this whole like um, the balanced schedule. Yeah, I know it's a little weird, but like to know that because I grew up in Seattle in the 90s and to know that a lot of kids my age never got to see Ken Griffey Jr. play in person or when interleague was playing would never really get to see like Edgar Martinez play or David Ortiz play except for like a pinch hit appearance or something like and again, we can argue the pitchers hitting thing. I you know. Yep. Whatever. Fine. Um, I think that's been one of the other really cool decisions that to know that like Mike Trout or Shohei or Mookie Betts or Freddie Freeman or Acuna or any number of great players is coming to your city at worst every other year. 
I think is huge for the yeah, game. Yeah, it, it it worked out very well. And it, it, this question yeah, based we don't on have that, to watch like nineteen Yankee Red Sox games for God's sake, right? Anymore. Is, now, is there is there like any point for the leagues to exist separately anymore? Like, can we just create one large organization? Like, the leagues don't really serve a purpose anymore, do they? Uh, other than really sort of organizationally and historically, I'm, yeah, I'm but with I mean, you. yeah, I mean, I like, it, now with the balance schedule and DH being both leagues, like all the everything else is, you know, they they consolidated the umpires that you know right. eventually all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think what this is purely speculative, and I have no basis on this. If baseball were to add two more teams and go to thirty-two. You could, in theory, see eight four-team divisions, mm-hmm. and that that di- whatever the dividing line you want to call it is probably going to whittle away even further. Yeah, and you know, like, why do we have an Eastern and a Western conference? Why do we have the AFC and the NFC? Right. It's organizational. Yeah. It's not, you know. It's not like baseball where you literally had two different leagues that played by two different sets of rules. Yeah. Although largely the same, but a couple of key differences, different umpiring crews who wore different gear. Yeah. You had some legitimate differences with that. That I think is going to, you know, continue to erode. And that's just sort of the, the changing nature of the game. I, you know, like, I mean, like I said, you know, to think that like a lot of kids my age never saw Ken Griffey Jr. play in person is yep. sort of a shame. And to think about the players who never came to Seattle when I was a kid. And I mm-hmm. will tell you that even when I was in college in the late 90s in the in San Francisco, I was like, this is so cool. I have National League and American <laughs> League. Yeah, 30 I, minutes, I was 30 spoiled in New York with that. I was very Within like in New 40 York minutes that. of each other. Like yeah. I yeah. can literally... I go downtown and I go on this bus line and it's Candlestick Park and I go on BART and it's Oakland. Yep. Like I can see everybody. Yeah. Like that to me was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my wife was telling me the story that, you know, her father was a Yankees fan, but they went to a Mets game to see the Pete Rose hitting streak. Like they had an opportunity to go see that, you know, and you wouldn't have had that had you not had the two teams in there. So it it did afford an opportunity with that. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like, I mean, it's great that, you know, Michael Jordan got to go to every city in the NBA. And football is a different sport because the number of games and the number of teams and stuff like that. But like, you know, look, even if I live in Phoenix, I know that if I want to go see Paolo Bancaro, who's the rookie of the year in the NBA, they're coming to Phoenix at least once. And the Lakers, you know, and like, if I want to go see whoever or... Giannis or like there's at least one day where they're coming to Phoenix. Yeah. That's true. And that's just good for the game, in my opinion. So yeah. Anyway, moving right. on. All right. So what I'm gonna do is one more segment. I'm not gonna go through everything, Patrick, because we have it till three in the morning Eastern time. <laughs> but uh, I'll I'll prune some of these down here. Uh but and I the roof this, is still on, which is good. The roof, the roof, my wife has been checking, like saying, Are you watching for the leak? Uh and I'm like, there's nothing leaked, so <laughs> it, it's good. I think it was I don't know how that happened that one time, but all right. 
So let me just mention uh, a couple of our uh, people paying the bills. I want to mention J.C. Newman Cigar Company, founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. The J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America for four generations and 127-plus years. J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 113-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida, at the factory known as El Rahol. J.C. Newman was premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines, including the All-American Cigar, the American, and the Angel Quest. Uh, J.C. Newman's Pencil Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua. It's a Brickhouse, Pearl de Mar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yaguar cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by Tobacco or A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. We're going on to have partners of the Arturo Fuente family. The Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, health care, vocation, training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars. The Cuevas cigar, Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of the Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas Cigars. Try their latest release, the Sango Nueva, as well as the Casa Cuevas and Cuevas Reserva lines. And remember, if they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas Cigars. Casa Cuevas Cigars, from our casa to yours. And this is our Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust Industry Deliberation segment, sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There is no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the half-wheel consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mi Carita Tricky Traca, and again in 2022 with the Mi Carita Black Saka Khan. Visit DT Cigars and find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. So I had a whole bunch of topics here, Patrick. Uh, I'm going to just kind of pick one from each of these. So uh, Shoot. we're not here all night. <laughs> Um, my first thing is on supply and demand uh, with tobacco. And, you know, there's a lot of talk right now what's going on in Ecuador right now. And, mm. you know, they had a, the, the crop season was horrendous down there. A lot of crops were lost. How do you see this now playing into the cigar industry, considering the sort, you know, the amount of tobacco we get out of Ecuador? And what, what what's your kind of crystal ball? We'll see with that. Well, look, if it's as serious and legitimate as I've been led to believe it's undoubtedly going to have an effect on the cigars that we see. Now, the, I think the real question is what other options are on the table that might not be well-known yet? You know, we've seen Nicaragua and Connecticut start to be grown and, and butts around with. Could Brazilian, you know, I mean, again, like what, I don't know. The, the, the trick is I don't know what other people are growing and they're not using yet. Right. It could come in and potentially fill a gap. Brazil, Colombia, Peru, Costa Rica, Honduras. I mean, all these other countries and growing regions, what could come in and fill that gap? And is it ready to fill that gap? I don't know. Um, but look, I mean, anytime you look, Ecuador filled a huge hole or a huge need in the cigar industry when Connecticut was not able to produce as much or produce it at the price that manufacturers and consumers wanted it to be. We got through it and I am confident that at some point there may be a little strain and, and, you know, discomfort in the market for a bit. Somebody out there is right now actively shopping some experimental crops that they've been growing 
saying this could be the replacement to your Ecuadorian blank leaf. Let's start trying it and see how it works. Okay, I think that's a fair. I mean, we saw a little bit of that with when the broadleaf shortage happened. A few yeah, I mean, ago. you know, there's Dominican broadleaf being grown right now. There's, yep. um, you know, we're seeing Cameroon, Cameroon tobacco being grown elsewhere. Yep. You know, look, the market will, the market will react, and you know, will there probably be, you know some some incongruent times where availability might not be great or price may be high or whatever yes but i guarantee you somebody is out there right now talking about their whatever that could be a replacement for whatever ecuador might not be able to fulfill South South Pole of the Moon grown yeah, shade, cool. yeah. I was gonna say Martian tobacco might be finally getting its yeah. shots. Let's uh, go. They, they tried a few years ago with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> the market was not ready for Martian market was not ready exactly. for it. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. And now yeah. look who's coming crawling for the Martian tobacco. <laughs> yeah. You know where to put it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Patrick. So this is a, this is kind of a little bit of an open up question. Um, sure. Taking the FDA out of the equation, anything related to the FDA, I'm going to take off the table. What okay. is the biggest story in the cigar industry that you've seen over the last decade? Ooh. You know, I'm I'm really kind of sensitive to legislation, so I think. It's, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a singular story, but it is an active, multi-pronged, multi-leveled approach of legislating against cigars, whether it's taxation, where you can smoke, you know, things like that. I mean, I, again, I, legislation always comes up first right. for a lot of my for a lot of what I, and mainly because a lot of what I cover. Sure. Um, gosh. I'm sure there's something that's going to be staring me in the face when I go to sleep tonight. It's going to be, oh, I should answer that. Um, you really should have the Jeopardy music playing to kill the <laughs> <No>. silence. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know, I guess for a lot of the stories that I write, I just, I feel like I'm writing another story of, oh, this place is not allowing smoking here or, right. you know, taxation changes or, um, I mean, FDA is such a big one. That's. I'll give yeah, you mine. You want you want my hand mine? Yeah, no, yeah. You, please, you, you can disagree. I think what Lost and Found did a few years ago, they weren't the first to do what they were doing, but they kind of made it part of our industry. This idea of going and, sure. and, and finding cigars in factories, 
I don't think you would have a provider if it wasn't for lost and found. I think it was, it made it, because I, I actually think Foundry was doing it before Lost and Found. It's just they were just doing it with all stuff. But I believe, I, I think that just changed the industry a lot of how we see it and just how we see cigars. Uh, it allowed a lot more releases, a lot more limiteds to come out. So that, I think that's the one yeah. I saw that changed it. Yeah, that's, no, I mean, I remember being in a shop that was a big Altidus shop. And I still remember they were doing something similar to that, very undecorated yeah um you know almost an afterthought but yeah i mean that's certainly an interesting you know the thing about sort of building a company on cigars that you didn't make yeah is fascinating to me and yeah you know it, i don't know i think it's sort of run its course maybe i think it has too i i think it definitely cigars left to find it there's not <laughs> a lot more to sell everything they can make yeah yeah i mean yeah you know I, but i it, will it, also say too like like i was and i keep saying this is sort of a self-humbling thing like i was completely dead wrong about what the pandemic was going to do to the cigar industry um a lot of people were yeah you know i really thought everyone was going to just close their wallets and smoke their humidors and that was going to be that um you know i will say too though i think like what i've seen in nicaragua the last couple of years has been concerning given the the rate of ex, you know exodus from the country yeah um that has certainly been when i was when we were at pure Sabor, you may have even been in the conversation when we had this but juan ignacio martinez from hoya it's in like five percent of the country had left in three years yeah i mean that's you know and then sort of to see what's going on outside of the cigar industry in nicaragua right now is concerning to me because stability is one thing that everyone values. And I remember the first time I went to Honduras, being like, well, this place is a, this place is a land, you know, just a, 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 a minefield waiting yeah. to, and now it's like Honduras seems like it's sort of stable because like the president's kicking the Jesuits out for being a terrorist organization or something. It's like, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm Jesuit educated, and yeah. there were a lot of things, but they weren't a terrorist organization. Yeah. I'll tell you no. that much. Yeah, I think it was gonna be interesting in Honduras because you know the Garcias are going in there now, and that's been pretty much they've talked about it. So they got they got farms there, and they're opening a factory. So that's gonna be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. You made you made a point. I remember when we were on the you brought this point up. I think in your recap of Puro Sabor. But I remember you saying it about the average age of the cigar workers at the Perdomo factory was was much you know younger. I mean, you you noted that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the experience of getting older and then looking at people and going like, wow, like I'm a lot older than you are, average person, because, you know, like I'm 45 now and that's a lot different. Yep. But there were. There were some workers in some factories that were like, there's no way you're out of high school. Yes. Like, and, yeah. And it's not that like you look young. It's that you are young and yeah. you are younger than I remember most people, you know, a year or two ago. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just had a No, weird... I, I saw it because I have kids in their 20s. Like, all my kids are in their 20s. And, you know, I can see that these look younger than my youngest. So, I mean yeah i mean really other than the one that stood out padrone didn't because they tend to have older workers but 
there were more factories than not that I was looking around going like, how in the, like, you can't be more than 20. And yeah. there's a lot of you. Not necessarily a bad thing, by the way, by the way, developing no, I mean, skill. That's not, that's not looking at anything, but it wasn't, oh. you said it, it kind of was an aha moment for me. Yeah, there were just, again, there was, you know, there are those moments where you see trends and there's moments where somebody like, you see something, you're like, wait a minute, that's just not, that's different. Yeah. And that was the one, there was one particular section in Perdomo where just is like, God, everyone in here looks like they're 18. Like, everyone. Just odd, you know, but maybe that's what it is. Yeah. All right, to the FDA. Um, yes. what do you, what do you, so I'm not going to go into the whole decision because it's been beaten to death, but do you, do you <laughs> well, think yeah. that, the, do you think that there's a real threat right now to marketing and social media on premium cigars, buddy? Cause I think this is something that's coming. Oh, look. Yeah. I, I tried to be real enthusiastic and, and relieved by the FDA's by the, by Judge Mehta's ruling. Right. And I was for a couple of minutes i certainly did not go and grab a bottle of champagne out of the fridge and well <laughs> you know shout out and like i wasn't banging pots and pans in the street um look the reality is that this industry like it or not is tobacco and there are a lot bigger problems in the fda's on the FDA's radar, as we've seen, nicotine content, flavored e-cigarettes, <clears throat> marketing to kids, you know, I mean, all that stuff. And I wish that I was more enthusiastic and more relieved, but I just have a feeling it's going to come around again in some different form. And it's... I think it's Charlie that quoted Marvin Samuel from Drew Estate. He said, you know, like, it's not the first victory that you get. It's you got to have energy for the next right. couple of fights that are coming up. Yep. And look, we are not, the cigar industry is not priority number one, but it doesn't mean we don't exist on their radar. And, you know, look, we're still not even out of the appeal window yet. No, for being honest. So let's, you know, let's hold our horses there. Yeah. At least in that regard. Was it a big win? Yes. Should it be celebrated? Yes. Should the industry feel good? Yes. Like all those things. Is it a, are we out of the, are we out of the storm yet? Not by a long shot. I don't think. Something else will come around and, you know, who, who knows what it'll be and how it'll happen, but, and it may not be, you know, I mean, it may not be within the next administration, whoever that may be. It may be a decade down the road. But if Half Wheel and Cigar Coop are still around in 10 years, there will probably still be FDA stores being written. Yeah. Fair enough. Now, Patrick, you focus, I, I noticed the way you, you and Charlie kind of lay the land at legislation coverage, Charlie tends to focus on federal. You seem to focus more on states mm -hmm. and you guys, you guys have covered the states. Like you've specifically have covered the state level. Like no one else has before. 
Um, so I want to give you guys, I want to give you, first of all, some props on that, but how did, how did you guys come to that decision that as far as covering the comprehensive level at the, you know, at a local level, which is, is very important. How did you guys come to that decision that it needed to be done? So we had some conversations years ago about what was and was, was not being covered. Legislation was one of them amongst sites. And it really started in, I think when there was a doctor in Connecticut who was basically going city by city with the same piece of legislation, trying to get tobacco age raised to 21. And we went like, if you start doing in, doing a little digging, you know, the national legislation is what gets a lot of attention, you know, and that's understandable. But a lot of the legislation that actually affects you on a day-to-day basis is set by your city, a little bit by your county, and then a fair amount by your state. Depending on, you know, your particular situation, I don't know what the actual percentages may be. But a lot of legislative changes and small stuff tends to happen, I think, local level up. And we said, look, like there's some changes afoot here that might start affecting cigars. And if nothing less, it will be things that we're probably going to be seeing a lot more of because I don't want to sound negative on this, but it's going to sound really negative. A lot of legislatures and legislative bodies tend to be fairly lazy and they tend to like easy wins. Yeah. And tobacco is an easy win. Yep. It's an easy plus that works on both sides of the aisle. We're protecting the kids. We're protecting the clean air. Got it. Like, I don't want to go back to the days of smoking sections in restaurants. But I want to sure as hell make the case that my cigar shop should be allowed to sure. have a smoking lounge if no one's compelled to enter. Yep. You know? So we just started seeing things that were changing. And we thought, like, this should be something that we should be documenting because it's not going to stop. It's not going to go away. And at some point, it's going to happen at a big enough level that people are really going to be interested and really going to care about it. <clears throat> and that's kind of what the decision was, was let's cover these things and see if there's traction. And what was always weird about it is that without fail, one of those stories in, you know, like you're in Indian Trail, North Carolina. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Indian Trail, North Carolina banned smoking in parks. (laughs) Yeah. Right? What's a story like that would always be in our top 10 most read stories every week. And it was like, how does this happen? Because people share it on Facebook because the local news isn't covering it and it gets some traction. And we went like, well, there's clearly an audience for it. So let's just keep plugging away at it. And next thing you know, you've got federal legislation being signed that changed the minimum age to purchase tobacco to 21. And a, Doctor in Connecticut did it city by city, getting 150 or 170 cities to sign on with it because easy win. Here's the template. Insert name of city here. 
vote on it twice, sign it. We got to win for the kids. Yeah, I mean, that's what's concerning about the whole social media thing, too, is is because they'll they'll push it back. Oh, the kids are accessing, you know, the NASA report was a good example of that, you know. Um, So, yeah, I'm concerned that they'll go after that low-hanging fruit right now. And and who knows if a state decides to put a level like could Patrick, could a state realistically say, hey, we're going to ban tobacco on the Internet. And how does that affect things if that happens? Like, is that something that's realistic? Like New York to say no more, no more social media for cigars, no more you know websites or anything like that. Is that a realistic uh, thing to ever be put in? You think? I'm trying to think of a example. Like there could be a comparative. I always think that you could, because it seems like almost anything, with a very small handful of exceptions, is. A, is legislatable like i seem to remember cities or states that were that would ban like cigarette advertising on the outside of a convenience yeah. store yeah you know and people say well it's freedom of speech you say well no it's not it's that's not something we want advertised in our jurisdiction um it would probably be tough, but I, I mean, I, I wonder how you would get compliance with it. I don't know how you comply with it either, unless, Compl- you know, yeah, because. But again, like everything is geotagged. I mean, everything has an IP address. Everything yeah. has a, I mean, like here's, okay. So we do support, we have a major league baseball as a relationship with the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball, which is an independent league right. in the southeastern U.S. I will be watching a game in uh, High Point, North Carolina, and they can serve me an ad about the Phoenix Mercury or the Phoenix Suns, mm-hmm. right? Like, they know where I'm watching from. Right, yeah. so they could see, based on your geotag, like, yeah, it's, someone local, it's something local to you. So why... You know, and then again, then you have to get new enforcement and does anything have any teeth? And Uh, look, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody tried it. Yeah. You know, run it up the flagpole and see who. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a good example, Patrick. In the Charlotte airport, I cannot access both cigar websites on their IS on their on their I I have to go through my phone. Yeah, phone to do it. I can't go to Halfway on the city of Peoria's website or on their internet. Yeah, you, like I said, there's already these things in motion where they can block that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... I could certainly see... I could see somebody trying it and probably... I just, you know, again, I don't know enough about the logistics of how you would make that work, mm-hmm. but I could certainly see somebody trying it. Yeah, that's you, what I could have see. an issue with, some, like, the service, service providers, you know, taking that up with the cities or, or whatever as well. Um, you know, cause they can, if people, you know, I don't know you, if you have competing providers and things like that, it's just a pain in the butt of who wants. Well, to... and then who becomes liable should an ad get through? Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah I mean, exactly. is, I don't know who if you put the burden on the, if you put the burden on the provider, you know, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good you know, Cox or Xfinity or whoever be held liable 
-hmm. like i'm almost envisioning you know like how they have they'll send like an eight like a 17 year old into a convenience store to buy cigarettes (laughs) like we're gonna have a 17 year old on a laptop for two hours and we're gonna see if we can get a tobacco ad to show up (laughs) and then like hey guess what time warner or xfinity or comcast or cox or whoever we got 17 cigar like you know perdomo ads or whatever drew estate ads or whoever you're like you're liable for that you should have known better i don't know maybe but i guess there's certainly, certainly yeah i feel like there's something else that kind of went that route like somebody like somebody was being would be held liable for something so they just basically like just said you know we're not gonna allow it because oh there's all sorts of legislation liable for that so oh yeah i mean there's um there's a there's a great book i think it's the 23 words that changed the internet which is all about it's a it's a we're gonna go forever on this topic so i don't want (laughs) to but it's it's literally all about like if your local bookstore has like that doesn't necessarily order its own books but just kind of has a an agreement with a like a distributor right and they carry a book and it's got questionable material on it are they liable as like could they be defined as a pornographer for selling it sure you know and there's and that's where like the legislation about you know a <clears throat> like certain internet service providers or twitters x whatever you want to call it not being held liable for the content that's there you go that's what i was thinking that is not being that they're not producing yeah but they are transmitting yeah without that protection like the internet would not be what it is today for better or for worse right all right i got two more questions for you patrick um fire away all right on media so blogs and written word in the cigar media uh obviously it's a bread and butter of half wheel and all three of us here Mm -hmm. um they're in decline um how do you see that in terms of the future half wheel right now because we we heard yeah what do you mean by they're in decline well there's less okay let me yeah let me rephrase that that was not phrased right I don't necessarily mean there's less people reading them because the traffic numbers would tell us otherwise, but there's a lot less of them right now. That a lot less content producers. Right. Like yes. if you go to PCA, sure. there's very few people who write about PCA anymore. Like it's sure. all video. So, um, I mean, both of us have gone to video aspects of it, but I still think the bread and butter is the written piece. And obviously it is something that that's changing in the media norm. So I'm kind of curious how Half Wheel is viewing that right now. I would say that our biggest concern, I mean, we're not necessarily going to abandon the written word. I think we're, as I alluded to earlier, we are always looking at ways to reformat our articles to meet current trends and expectations in formats that may appeal to readership more, whether that be, um, you know, layout style, format style, um, you know, incorporation of video a little bit more. But again, like, I don't ever see, I don't ever see an era where, like, we're going to just get rid of the written word. I mean, we are a site for people that like to read. Yeah. So 
if that's not your thing and and we're a site by people who generally like to write yes so you know like those two things aren't going to go away we may very well change how we do that to adapt to modern preferences but you know look it's i certainly noticed it a lot more last year than i did this year you know i mean look there was definitely a a big component of the world which is video and that's fine that's great that's what it is i mean it's what instagram's about it's what tiktok's about it's what a lot of these things are about but you know like i also think that there are people who generally want to know about something that to get to that requires a certain level of investment of time and attention that I can't explain something to you to a satisfactory level in a TikTok. Yes. Okay. Like if that's, if, if what you are searching for is that, then you have to do it a little bit more in depth. If you want to know what so-and-so cigar maker's favorite sandwich is, we can we can knock that out in a 30-second TikTok all day long. Yeah. Cool. And there's room for both of us. You know, I mean, I've got issues with certain cigar media for various reasons, but, you know, look, I mean, we haven't made it this far by not by by dodging the written word you know i mean we do i don't know how many our reviews are 1500 to 2000 words on average every day and if you just want to scroll and look at three pictures and a score fine but we're going to try and tell you a story that just can't be done through a tiktok or through yeah short form video or something else if you think you can do it great by all means but, you know, we think our audience wants a little bit more than that. I agree. And I agreed on that, too. I mean, they read the reviews. You, you know they read the reviews because they're always pointing things out in the review. <laughs> so you know they're being read. <laughs> Fatty tuna. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, unsweetened marshmallow was mine. So, <laughs> all right. Last question, Patrick. Uh, we appreciate it. So. Um, if you were at the PCA this year, um, they they debuted a docu series called uh, the Handroll Docu Series <laughs> with Jason Newman, and, and Patrick made his motion picture debut. I, I don't know, maybe maybe he didn't, but okay, you you made it. You were in that, okay. I don't know if you did a motion picture or not, but uh, take us through that experience because I thought that was really cool to see you in there, man. Yeah, and what's funny is I still haven't seen it yet. So, <laughs> oh, it's, um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's so we were at the um, or I was at. J.C. Newman's 125th anniversary celebration in Tampa in oh, was that November, December? It, it was Cold. November because I was in Mexico. I got invited to and I was I had already committed to go to Casa 1910. 1910's right. Yeah, it was the same weekend. Yeah. And um, I'd gotten to know the guys behind the, the original movie a little bit and they we were just sitting out in the jason newman parking lot during the event and they said we're doing some new things and one of them's a a profile or a, you know a, 
feature, whatever the when you were called on JC Newman, would you like to be a part of it? And I said, sure, what do you need? He said, well, we'll just come by the factory on, I think it was a Saturday afternoon. I just remember it was pouring rain and like the parking lot was a mud puddle. And uh, went upstairs and there was nobody in there and they asked some questions of what I thought of the company and what they're doing and sort of their unique role in Tampa and in the cigar business and record, 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 edit, 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 film, you know, I mean, that was sort of it. I was, I was honored and proud to be a part of it. And yeah, you brought some good historical, I remember there was some, I don't remember the specific question, but I remember it was historical context you had. I heard there's one line where they say, like, do you think JC Newman's crazy for what they're doing in Tampa? And there's like yes. an awkward pause. And it's That's like, right. Yeah. Yes, that yes. was that. Yeah. I that was you. I, yeah, that was you. That seemed to get a lot of response for some reason. So it did. It did when we were watching it, too. <laughs> I think it was like they teed you up so well and you just you didn't miss it. So and it was just your, <laughs> your, your reaction was like, like, like just so candid. <laughs> oh, look, I mean, I I really have a lot of respect for what Drew Newman's doing right now. Um, I've had a been fortunate for a really nice relationship with Eric and Bobby over the years and the people that work at that company. And, you know, Drew is, Drew is literally doing something that most people probably think is crazy. And that's fantastic because the crazy ones are the ones who make the changes that a lot of us will look back on in 50 years and go, yeah. Wow. Like I never expected that. I don't know if you've seen that hotel that's next to the factory. I I, know, I haven't you, gone inside of it, but I've seen oh, it. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. you don't yeah. want to go inside. But it, yeah, no, I, I mean, mean, him, him having to transplant, uh, you know, this bat population, bat that's, that's, that qualifies as crazy. <laughs> oh, it all does. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, but what's what's really wild about that is that you dig then you start digging into the history of it and you realize that like that freeway which i think is interstate four or something interstate like that, four i four yep literally um what's the word i want to use like it carved tampa into two distinct areas yep and then you look around and you go wow like that's actually like you hear these things, you're like, it's a freeway. You drive underneath it, like, yeah, no big deal. But then you look at it and you go, son of a gun, like, this actually happens in cities. And he's taking this, you know, or the Newmans are, are going to revitalize this building that Eric Newman said his mother told him never to go near it because <laughs> it was of unsavory individuals. And then, you know, to build a park in honor of the cigar workers to relocate 3000 bats to be a part of the Ebor chickens sanctuary. I mean, like that's when you understand that it's not just about, you know, put down building, open doors, make cigars, turn lights off, go home. This is the 24 hour life cycle of a community and a neighborhood, not just from the people, but from the animals. You know, the environment. Yeah. I mean, this is stuff that you just see. And we're doing it in the United States, mm. which is even more special to me to think. I mean, I can't even imagine what Tampa would have looked like 100 years ago. 
So to see a little bit of it start to come back is just remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know that you the, the thing, the comment about the highway is really interesting because the Newman side of where the Newman factory, it's kind of like a, a dead area. Like you have the factory, but you have these abandoned buildings and, you know, there's a few houses, but you know, you go to the other side, that's where all the activity in Ybor city is on that other side of the highway. Yeah. I so, mean, I, I, yeah, it's very interesting. I didn't realize he just said that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I don't want to undersell it cause I don't know it enough, but I mean, literally you've got La Segunda bakery. You've got, Elrelo, and then you got a lot of houses and a lot of just kind of I don't know what you know is going on around there, but there's some churches and some other and there's like corner stores and stuff. But yeah, it is wildly different than when you're on the other side of the freeway. Yeah, totally different. Wildly different. Yeah, you know, and it's just so weird because you read about these things and you know when you don't live them because they were sort of they were all done before my time and before I at least was cognizant of these things they're like a freeway makes that much of a difference to a neighborhood yeah it was an invisible fence for a lot of people it seemed like yeah it's very true especially for a city that or an area that had what i understand to be a very rich cigar making history yeah um you know i went on the the historian they have their hold and he was showing us a lot of the buildings in the neighborhood that yeah. used to be like cigar factories and stuff. He, you know, it was that area had cigar factories too. It wasn't. Oh, like, absolutely. It, so yeah, it was. Uh, it was very. I gotta say, Bear the Pussy actually, when he was there with me in like 2018, he saw that hotel and he's like, "This would be really cool if they ever rebuilt this hotel." He never said anything to anyone else. It was just a comment he made to me. <laughs> and then, like a couple years later, they announced they're going to restore it, which was pretty cool. It's a really odd looking building. Mm-hmm. but he knew it was a ho- he, given, he knew, yeah he knew it was a hotel just, at one point yeah he did yeah know i mean it's just given it's just an out it's like this it's a it's like a parcel of land that time just kind of forgot yeah and the world sort of went on around it yep and it's boarded up and there's three thousand bats that live in there yep and there's all these stories of nefarious people yep that frequented this place and there's signs on that says you know no uh no loitering you can't consume alcohol you know on this block and it it's just this weird city block it's got a ghost town effect it almost had when you leave el Rahole, it's like that block that street as it's columbus is the street it's like a ghost town it had a ghost town it had or when i was there i haven't been there in about three years it's a ghost town feel yeah. It, had, it had very much a ghost town feel to it. Yeah. No, it's, yep. it's, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting project, but I, like I said, I'm, I, I'm just consistently amazed by what energy and ideas and renewed new eyes passion Drew has brought to the company in the last couple of years. And that's not even taken into account all the FDA stuff and all the, other things he's done but just for that company to i mean to turn it into an event space for god's sake like yeah. that's remarkable you know yeah yeah i mean they're just they're using the factory to having wedding receptions there um things like that now which is you know it's 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 very interesting to hear about stories you know with, with that now and and i do know people who have gone to this factory who are not cigar people and they come out of there 
and they're like, this is really cool. Did you, did you know about this place? Like, they'll, they'll tell me about it. I'm like, yeah, I know about this place. Actually, they go, I didn't realize this, all this stuff went into cigars. And, uh, you know, yeah. um, I, I mean, it's interesting. They actually charge for the tour. But I was talking to Eric about it. He said, we wanted to put value on that as opposed to just doing it for free. We, he said there was some real value in that. We don't, we don't charge an arm and a leg. But I thought that was a smart move they did, too, with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's and again, like I've heard that same comment of a lot of people was like, I've never smoked a cigar. Yeah, I have no desire to smoke a cigar. Maybe I know somebody that smokes a cigar, but to see something that was the foundation of at least a neighborhood, if not a good chunk of that city, yeah, is a special thing to do. And they do it so well and it's so manageable. You know, it's not one of these massive operations that you know you just you'd get lost i mean i think about taking someone who i don't think that person that goes to um el relo would do well on like any factory tour on pro cigar or pure support no I, I i agree like my wife was a good example i don't think she'd do well on that but i think el Rojo she'd do great in yeah it's, yeah, just, it's exactly. so much more manageable it's yeah. just it's approachable yeah you can get it there's because and again, like and there's so many tie-ins to things that we're all familiar with. Yeah, you know whether it's baseball or whether it's other cities in the U.S. that had cigar industries. You know, I mean, yeah, there's there's so much that makes it such an appeal. But yeah, my my company acquired a company in, based out of Cleveland, downtown Cleveland, and I went up there um, a few years ago, 2019, and when I went to the building, I almost felt like I was in over a hole it was the brick the brick walls oh, and everything no. and that's because that's where jc newman came from i was like they literally when they built that factory is based on their operations in cleveland so they built yeah. it to look like that so i was fascinated when i saw it i'm like this is like cleveland architecture is what i just saw <laughs> yeah yeah and that's and that's again like not to go down the the rabbit hole but that's one of these things that if you it's like it's amazing how much you can appreciate on a broad level by seeing something like El Rolo and then going back to like a Cleveland or somewhere and go, yeah. Oh my God. Like, yeah, that building now makes all the sense in the world to me. It really did. I mean, it was a lot of the nuances were just like, wow. I just almost felt like I was walking through a cigar factory for this it company that was based yeah. in this building. Yeah. Even like what direction is oriented in, you know, like <laughs> what, what, what side of the, are the big windows on? Oh, well, they're that side. Oh, well, that's because the guys used to hold the leaf up and they didn't have electricity. So they yeah. wanted as much sunlight as possible, you know, like, or we need to move things up and down floors. And so we did it this way. And yeah, it's, there are, there are so many, like, just secrets out in the open when it comes to architecture and building and city layouts that a lot of us just never know because we never get the chance to crack into them. Yeah, no, I agree. If you ever go to Portland, Oregon and Portland, Maine, they're very similar cities. For they're actually Portland, Oregon was modeled after Portland, Maine. No kidding. Yeah. So when you look at, and I've been to both cities, so I know. Yeah. And hmm. I found that out when I went to Portland, Oregon. Actually, I was on a tour of the city, and yep, very much similar. Yeah. I've not been to Portland, Maine yet. Spent a lot of time in Portland, Oregon, but not uh, Portland, Maine. Not Maine yet. Yeah, Portland, Maine. Maine's beautiful. If you ever get up there, it's it's some great air country. I haven't been up but, there, but. but July fifth to Labor Day only. 
Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> same problems. Yeah. At, at least yeah. set yourself up with the best time of the year yeah. for the first visit. You know, New yeah. England in late August is great. Uh, it's yeah. it just it's because they they get a little earlier fall. So uh, it's if you're gonna go to New England, I I love going that time of the year. Oh, so, I bet. Yeah. 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 All right, uh, Aaron. Anything else we have before we wrap up with Patrick? We kept him here no, all the we, time. We've held held him hostage long yeah. enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Patrick, first of all, thank you very much. This was great. Um, um, don't we won't, we won't have you as a stranger. We won't wait till five sixty to have you back. But we, <laughs> but we do appreciate that. I look uh, forward to celebrating your six hundred show with you guys. There you go. Thank you. Again. <laughs> uh, like I said, folks, check out the work on Half Wheel. I'm sure a lot of folks do, but uh, these these guys work really hard. Patrick's one of the best in the business, and. Uh, Thank you, Patrick, very much for being on. We do appreciate that. My pleasure. Anytime. Okay. Uh, programming notes on Coop. Uh, next week on uh, Primetime uh, 281, we have a new guest coming on. Uh, Julio Cabrera of Sacrificial Cigars um, is going to be the guest. So he is uh, the celebrity bartender who has uh, gotten into uh, the premium cigar business. So he will be making his debut on this show. So we're pretty excited about that. Um. And um, that's it. Yep. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up primetime episode 280 into the annals of history for Thursday, August 24th. Now, Friday, August 25th in the <laughs> Eastern and Central time zones. <laughs> we'll see everybody next time. Have a great night. Thanks to our audience as well. Can't forget. Them. Thanks for hanging in there, guys. Take care, everybody. See you guys. <laughs>